0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Overmatch Podcast, I'm your host Kevin, and today I actually have a guest, usually it's me just sitting here running my mouth, but uh, today my guest is Clay Martin, and Clay is pretty well known in the social media circles, Clay was a Marine, he was a Marine Scout sniper, he was a Special Operations Green Beret sniper, we went to sniper school together, we deployed to Iraq together, so we've known each other for a while. Clay, welcome to the podcast brother, thanks for being here.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm excited to be here, man. This is awesome,
0: yeah, yeah, um you're you're kind of a chatty guy, so I'm just going to try to shut the hell up and let you talk. <laughs> <That'd be laughs> a, <that'd be laughs> enough. I know I, it's not gonna work. I'm not gonna do it, but I'll try. I swear you know it's funny podcasts that people because some people you gotta pull every word out of them. oh, yeah, and then some people that, that are are just naturally kind of chatty, and you're kind of a chatty guy and and here's why I wanted you there's one of the reasons I wanted to have him on the podcast like uh, we we work together, we deployed together. But you're not one of these tactical guys who freaking thinks he's too cool for school and exaggerates everything and and, and just that brove thing. It drives me freaking crazy, and it's just it's so boring. Like I go through my I go through my YouTube channel sometimes, and you know it, it suggests things and puts things up there, and it's like Green Beret teaches you this or Navy son. I just like boom, dude never 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 suggest this channel to me ever again. And there's a couple of guys out there that are humble and and, and normal guys, and then there's just freaking douchebags anyway but
1: I gotta, a, I gotta make a confession that you said that though i'm uh i'm wearing camouflage underwear
0: no way yeah he, yeah dude yeah it's, are you wearing, uh, no, are you wearing they, I, i'm not i'm not wearing any pants <laughs> 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 that's the great thing about like, <laughs> like from that's the not, i'm wearing shorts all right I'm, I, let's get that weird image out of the way right there i'm wearing shorts uh it's like we used to do these vtcs in the army Guys be wearing their BDU top and everything in pair of shorts, because nobody can see below the table, you know? Hey, secrets get, get out there. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I'm super happy to, to have you here, and uh, you, you've, like, since you got out, you've, you've done some social media stuff. You've bounced around a couple of companies. You've written five books, which is super impressive. Um, so let's get to it, brother. We're just going to, no BSing, man. I'll call you on your bullshit if you bullshit me, and you won't. And I expect the same from you. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely going to happen. It's <laughs> absolutely going to happen.
2: And, uh,
1: yep. it, it is funny even your, your opening there about like the tactical cool guys and all that stuff because this is actually one of the things that I remember when I first got out because I've been out almost 10 years now, so I've been out a while. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But, uh, you know, like a lot of other dudes, like, you know, what are you going to do? Like, ah, you know, I like training people and I was like this kind of instructor, dude, so I'm going to do that shit. But uh, one of the things that like I just couldn't handle when I first got in, this is actually I got out of the training business for a long time because I just couldn't. I couldn't play this way, but uh it's like the WWF man. That's what I think of the <laughs>
0: it is. That's a great analogy, man. Yeah. It's like
1: the old 80s, like, yeah. oh I'm gonna
0: <laughs> 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 it is. And and the more you're like that, the more successful you are. So there's obviously a market for it.
1: But it's like, are you are you kidding me, Brian? And the thing yeah. that always got me is like everybody I know that was like a real boy that like, you know, did, you know we went to school and we taught together. We yeah, met, you know, everybody was like funny and like relaxed and like even like real missions and shit even when like like serious stuff was happening like not yeah. too serious like but like people would just be doing like the dumbest like oh, get get to the ch-. we're not hot lz like taking rpgs and Be like get to the child like come on yeah That's yeah. Real, like, it's not this like I yeah a stone-faced yeah. killer
0: and i will yeah. like, well, guys like us can spot it a mile away Right, I, and it's just—it's so overdone. Freaking Navy Seal, green beret teaches you how to wipe your ass. I mean, come on, man! I, I, I already know, you gotta right? Do, you got to yeah, tactically yeah. get down. Yeah, and you got to you sh- take the- your take your non your your dominant hand and move it at a forty five degree angle and close uh, those eyes so you don't lose your vision. Yeah. It's all the same. It's all very repetitive, and the, oh god, it's exhausting. But people like it. People love it, and they eat that shit up. But anyway, are you going to shot show? No, never again. I'm so excited. Really, and it's it's because of the way that I had to
1: do it. Like uh, we actually we haven't seen each other in a while. I saw you out there like four or five years ago. Yeah, but uh, you were you were always doing like work stuff. I was actually on the journalism side for a while because I was a gun review guy for a little bit. Yeah, so being on the journalism side, that show was awful. I would do like uh, like 120 interviews in the week. And yeah, I, it, just, yeah. it just it ruined it for me. Like, I, yeah, I don't even want to think yeah. about it. it was feet all tired and stuff. It was terrible.
0: Yeah, I've been to SHOT Show four times, I think, for the government. And yeah, it's well, a lot of different. And it's meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings. And, and uh, you know, um, I'm not a party guy. And <laughs> too old for that shit. But it, it's, it was work, right? But it, we got a lot of compliments because everybody's there at the same time, right? And we can go to this meeting, that meeting, that meeting. Um, so it was very, very... Uh, it, it, productive. it really produced a lot productive for us, right? So yeah. going now uh, as a civilian, I don't even know I'm going, but I, I feel like I need to go at least once. So I'm actually going in January, and I'll, I'll try to get some stuff done, talk to some people, and uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, it might be a waste of time, but it might be productive.
1: Now, um, I guess I actually did go once, not as a journalism guy uh just as like a dude and you know it was cool like you know, saw some new stuff and all this stuff but yeah I, I it to me it's like an experience like you have it like once as that mm. guy you don't ever need to go again really yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. all right cool let's say, uh, yeah uh, freaking marine i'm looking for the marines i'm leaving tomorrow to go to camp lejeune for a month and then i'm going out to uh dogway in utah for three weeks uh in october november teaching the the Marine Corps Special Operations Level 1 sniper course with them. I was out there a couple of months ago, super impressed with them. Very, very capable. Very great teachers, great students. Very high standard. Super impressed, right? But I, I really don't know a lot about the Marine Corps because you get very excited. But you were in the Marine Corps. Let, let's say, uh, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Texas.
1: So I'm from the, uh, the panhandle of Texas. Little tiny town of... Did you uh, grow up I'm hunting? No, never it, been. Okay. Yeah, it was... Uh, this is actually one of those weird, like, evolution of the sniper things, right? Because, like, everybody reads the books, and there's, like, that, you know, he was, you know, Carlos Hathcock and hunted Rabbits, all this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And that's true some of the time. And, uh, you know, I guess the Russians were famous for, like, finding those dudes. But me, no, Dad. I'd never, had literally never been hunting except, like, jackrabbits, like, once. Like self guided with like you know my twenty two when I was.
0: I thought that was a Texas thing, man, especially on the Panhandle.
1: <laughs> I think it is for a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of antelope hunting up there, which would actually be a good like you know long range mm-hmm. segue into uh, into hunting because you got to have some distance for that. But no, man, I'd never been. Uh, mm-hmm. Was not like a you know super outdoorsman or or anything like that. Uh, you know, I was just kind of a, I guess, normal kid for lack of a
0: small name. small town
1: small town yeah. How many people? Like uh, between like four and six thousand.
0: Oh, that is small. Yeah, um, very small. Yeah. The uh, How far? Like, we went to Todd Hodnett's together in 06 or 07, I think. We were the first.
1: It was early 07. Yeah, it was early Was early it? 07. Okay. We were the
0: yeah. first group ever to go actually to Todd's and, and train there. Crazy wind, right? We were, right, we were right. at extreme long range. It, was that, how far from where you grew up was, was Hodnet's place?
1: That was such a funny trip because it's like, uh, like 60 miles. Okay. Uh, in fact, my my dad went to high school with the guy that owns the ranch. That we oh, were shooting at. yeah. Oh, Eddie. From,
0: yeah. Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah. That, that was a great school. That was a, that was my first introduction to like extreme long range and high wind. Even though I'd been a sniper before, like you, uh, and then the PDA, the ballistic calculator was just coming out. We were running that and it was like witchcraft, right? It was like 1125 meters. Boom, 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 boom. Hold this. Ding. Like, okay, that is insane. Right. Um, cool. All right. So, uh, grew up there, high school, you went, you go right out of high school. You go in the Marine Corps?
1: No, actually I didn't. Uh, so I, I lived kind of a weird life, uh, up to that point.
0: Um, (laughs) What do you mean up to that point?
1: Well, (laughs) and then it got weirder after that, but, uh, I was one of those like, uh, you know, I don't know, 40 pound forehead kids. And I was actually tiny too, man. I was like, uh, I was like four foot 11 and like 95 pounds. I started high school really which is uh, which is weird because now i'm big i'm like you know six mm. foot like 240 i was a little tiny dude i i grew late uh so i did like cross-country track uh but i actually graduated high school when i was 16. uh oh. and i went to college i went to uh uh actually a top 10 engineering school on a full-ride scholarship uh it just wasn't for me though uh mm. so i you know spent a year there kind of growing up i guess and and then i i went straight to the marines actually the day i turned 18.
0: What was, the, what was the, uh, the thing that triggered you to go? Because look, uh, different people take different paths, right? College was not for me, and, and, but it is for some people. And some people get it very productive. And What was the thing that like triggered you to go, this is not for me? Because people, people have this thing where they feel like they have to follow the path laid out for them. And it's very difficult to make that decision. But once you make it, it's like a huge weight's lifted off your shoulders. Was there a triggering event for you? Yeah, actually, there was. Uh, there was, and like you said, a lot of people
1: end up where we ended up because of uh, different motivations. But there's, there. It probably comes down to like five. We actually counted them out. So, uh, so like I said, I was like a small kid, uh, and I, I fought a lot, and that didn't really work out for me because I was a tiny kid.
0: Uh <laughs> it's good training. It's
1: good training. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I had a very, I had a very big mouth, and uh, not as much fear as I should have. So, uh, you know, in a way. I wouldn't really say I got bullied, but I had to. I had to like fight tooth and
2: nail.
0: That was back in the day when you couldn't talk shit like you can now on, on social media. You couldn't talk shit to people without getting punched. Right, right. It's- and it was part of growing up. It yeah. in fights is part of growing up, man.
1: Right, and in, in retrospect, yeah, it was good. It made me, you know, partially who I am and stuff. Uh, yeah. But because of that, I, I always kind of had this like, you know, I wanted to like learn how to be a good fighter. Yeah. as well as there was like some other influence as well and stuff too uh one of like my uh my guys growing up uh he actually stitched up my forehead when my little sister split it with a golf club uh he was a marine
0: that's what little sisters do man yeah exactly <laughs> she <laughs> me right in at a, a
1: scar what'd you what'd you do to deserve it i was trying to show her how to use the golf club and apparently oh it was an accident the ass. Okay. no No, it wasn't? Okay. Maybe I was a little mouthy about who knew what was going on. So she Mm. gave me the, uh, she gave me the business. And I came over and I, you know, butterfly my head, my parents get home. And there's this, uh, you know, six foot tall jarhead standing over there, bleeding son, you know, anyway, that was a big influence as well as, you know, like a few guys, very few, but a couple guys I knew growing up, like their dads were Vietnam vets and, uh, you know, we're too young to like really understand for all I knew they were, you know, cooks at the name, but either way, you know, they did the stuff And, uh, so that was always kind of like, it was cool. And uh, that was kind of what I always wanted. We're,
0: sorry, Chris, were did Marines in Vietnam? It
1: was a wide, it was a variety. Uh, mm-hmm. One guy, I know his dad was in both the Navy and the Army, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, wasn't super, un- it wasn't that uncommon back then. So he did a couple of tours. Uh, most of the other guys, I-, I couldn't even tell you honestly what service they were in. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember.
0: Didn't matter when you're that young. You're no, like, no,
1: of course not. You're yeah. like, ah, oh, Army Marines are awesome or, you know, whatever. Mm. So, uh, it came time to make a decision, and I'm, I'm actually kind of an analytical guy, so I actually went to, like, all the recruiters, and uh, mm-hmm. I was trying to find something. It turned out also that I had an uncle that was an uh, Air Force Special Ops guy, but uh, post-Vietnam in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and he'd never, like, talked about that. He'd only, like, kind of come out with that, like, a couple years before that. Like, mm-hmm. family reunion one time, he's was like, hey, check it out, by the way, you know, mm-hmm. the following, like, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, you know, I went to all the recruiters, and I was like, you know, who's got... You know what's up because I wanted to make you know uh, the right the good decision or whatever. And this is kind of where things go, I think. Off- and
0: then you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I'm not bashing the marine. Go on.
1: This is uh, this is like honestly like a, a thing about the services though. Like the Navy will talk to you about being a Navy Seal and having college money, and they don't. None of them know what being a seal is because none of them are the recruit. Well,
0: well, they know. They know that a lot of guys will wash out. And they get them anyway, because then you're, you're needs in the Navy, right? That's yep. the
1: Navy's best recruiting tool. So yeah. They have, like, you're like, you walk in, you're like, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking about not chipping paint. They're like, here's a backpack and, you know, your own trident, you know, whatever. They want you to do mm. that. But because none of them could, like, so you're like, okay. And then the, uh, the Army recruiters, honestly, are just as bad. Like, especially if you have a high GT score, they're like, oh, man, we can put you in, you know, in-flight missile repair, and it'll be mm. great. And if you're like, what about, like, Ranger battalion and like Green Berets, they're like that looks hard. Like yeah. I wouldn't do that. You're like, yeah.
0: yeah, they're trying to make a quota. Yes, right. And 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 then they, what they'll do is they'll let's say they have to put five people in. I don't know what their numbers are, but they have to put five in a month or a week, right? And if you're the sixth, they'll go, oh, I can't put you in until next month. And I didn't understand that, but they're not doing extra. They're gonna keep you till next month, even though you want to go right now, that, to make their quota, right? Yeah. Um, the army recruiters for me were. I was a recruiter's dream. I just went in and said, "I want the infantry," and I I was a citizen. I had a green card. And they're like, "No problem. Hey, come on in. Da, 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 da. We'll hook you up." Yeah, but you did all the services. You talked to them all. What was it about the Marine Corps that impressed you?
1: The the thing is, this is honestly like the uh, the 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 uniform.
0: Thing. The uniform. No.
1: Ironically, the, the it, TV commercial, <laughs> well, we they did have fighting dragons, which is cool. Hey, who
0: wants to, he doesn't want to slay a dragon. Come on, man. Yeah,
1: exactly. You got a sword and all kinds of shit. <laughs> but uh, honestly, the, the difference was uh, back then, at least, uh, reconnaissance Marines, and snipers were not excluded from recruiting dude. And this is actually a funny story because many years later, when I was at scout sniper school, the orders came down. They lost three quarters of their instructors to go be recruiters the next cycle, like yeah. when were their last class. So I yeah. uh, just so happened that the dude that I went to see that was the recruiter uh, was like a force recon dude. So he knew mm. like what was up and he's like, Oh yeah, man, obviously you'll pass and you'll be good. And you know, here's your badge and you know, whatever. but he was, he knew what the hell he was talking about. And of course, anybody that's in any of the service would be like, of course, we are the awesomest.
2: Mm. If
1: I, if I, our magic sauce is the best mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. And uh, so that was it, man. There I go. Like, okay.
0: Purely looking to draw. If your recruiter had been a freaking refueler or something, I don't know if the Marines have those, but... They do. Yeah. You got to hand it to uh, recruiters sometimes. They're used car salesmen. And and you really... It's really beneficial to go to a recruiter with somebody who's in the army. Like, I took my... I took my... my, Well, my niece's husband, right? My nephew-in-law, whatever that is. I took him to the recruiter, and you can't be... uh, And, of course, I took two of my own kids to the recruiters. Uh, And uh, my son is now... uh, and, and you, you know, not making a career was their choice. I never pushed them to the military. My son is in Korea right now. He's an intel analyst, Um, and he's been in the army like six, seven years. Hey, Connor, if you're watching, uh, shout out. And then my daughter is in the Middle East. She went in as military police because she wanted to get an MOS where she could go any anywhere, right? And which there's MPs everywhere, right? So, and she likes to shoot and stuff like that. So she went in, and I went with with her, and she went in the Army Reserve. And, uh, she actually went to basic training, come out a different person. She was so much more mature. She was, she was honestly a different person, but, um. It's
1: so, it's so good for some people.
0: It really is for young people, it's, especially if they're a little lost and I'm not pushing the army cause it's not for everybody or the Marine Corps or, or whatever, but if you go in at 18 when you're a little lost and you go, I'm going to do three years, I'm going to learn some leadership, have some adventure, learn a little bit of life, life lessons and skills. And then I'm going to get out, and I'm going to take that 40 grand or whatever it is for college money. I'm going to apply, and, and, and I'm on my way, right? But my daughter went into the reserve, and now she's in CENTCOM. She's out in the Middle East as on a personal security detachment for the general, flying in helicopters and all over the place, and, and, and she's absolutely loving it, you know? so, uh, But going with somebody who can talk to that recruiter and go, stop, BS, no. I brought my son initially because he was in Air Force ROTC in high school. I brought him to the Air Force, and the Air Force recruiter said, eh, I want... There are only two MOSs that I have right now, we need uh, MPs or what they're S, S, F, SF or whatever they are in the Air Force, right? Security forces, and we need uh, what do you call like uh, people who control rodents and all that, like like vermin control or something like that. Like I was like, okay, okay that's an MOS. Yeah, exterminators yeah. an MOS. Exterminator. I can't remember what it was called, but it was something like that, right? It was it was my
1: MOS too. What? No, I'm just kidding.
0: No, you're oh. kidding. <laughs> Later on, it was in Iraq. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe um, that was
1: some. That was some secret commando unit. You guys, yeah, didn't out. Yeah, what yeah, was that? Yeah. Come on,
0: yeah. It, it, uh, so I was like, okay, goodbye, and I went to the army, and we talked, and and we we bounced a few things around. And I wasn't in a hurry, and I was a first sergeant at the time, and because uh, those guys, yeah, those guys were great. They bent over backwards for me, but bringing somebody there. That can call BS and go. Eh, you don't want to do that, you know. Um, very, very beneficial, right? Who was that? Was that guy who stitched you up? Was he like a, uh, like an influence, like a role model type, you know, guy who who kind of steered you right, or was it just that one incident where he 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 patched you up?
1: Oh, it was, uh, he was kind of like a, a steered you right guy. He was. Uh, his daughter was actually friends with my older sister, so you know I was around. I
0: wasn't. It wasn't like uh, I was over there all
1: the time or anything like that but enough influence to be like, you know, okay, this is, you know, it was an influence for certain.
0: It's so important for, for young people, male and female, to get that influence early, that positive influence to kind of steer them. It's like a bullet, man. You push it off trajectory early and it's going way off the target. Right. But if you get that influence early and and kind of give you some tough love and, and some good, solid advice, um, Super beneficial, right? It, 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 and, and, and there's a little bit of a lack of it in in this country, um probably around the world. um all right, so you you go in, you're like, okay, uh, Marine, what MOS did you go in the Marine Corps? Oh, you, you don't get an MOS in the Marine Corps, do you? You do you do, okay, and you do. That's a common misconception that everybody goes in and you you go wherever they put you.
1: well they they push that uh, because they they're just like everybody other other recruiter, like they would really like you to go open contract, which is means no MOS, which means mm-hmm. they can make you do whatever you want. Uh, but my guy did at least score me up on that. He's like, look... And I, I don't remember if this was... I don't remember if there were a couple... Yeah, there were only a few MOSs you could go to uh, to Recon for back then. Infantry was obviously the primary feeder. Mm. So he's like, you got to go as a... You, you won't be as a grunt. So, mm. uh, so that's what I did. Yeah, I went as no 311. Um And uh yeah, so it was really weird for me too. Because as much as like that recruiter was like kind of a good guy... He was also a recruiter, let's be yeah. honest. Mm-hmm. You know, so he didn't really... Give a damn as long as he made his quota. And uh, it's not like he could have really told me anything anyway that was actually going to help me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like.
0: What year are we talking about, Clay? Uh,
1: it was uh, October of
0: 1998.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. No war. Clinton. No war. No Clinton, Clinton era. Yeah. Gut-
0: gutted the military. Yeah. But you still wanted to go in and start. Which, I still wanted to go in. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And mostly, you know, we hadn't had a real war in this country at that point, in like 30 years either. You yeah. ever had like a desert storm that was like four days. If you looked at it from the outside,
0: it's like 20 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> right. right. Panama, all those other things. Yeah.
0: Grenada, you know. Yeah. Um,
1: so, so I was kind of looking at like the same thing, like adventure, like. You know, if we get to go to Grenada, cool. You know, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. We didn't really understand it, and I didn't have any idea what I was doing. Actually, like, uh, I, I seriously didn't know that you got paid to be in the Marines. Like, yeah, really? I didn't. Yeah, we got like mm-hmm. our, you know, private paychecks, and I'm like, we get money.
0: <laughs> we get all this stuff, and we get like, we you feed us, you give us like mm-hmm. uniforms, and we get money. Do you remember what your what your paycheck was in basic training, or when you were private. It's like a couple of hundred bucks a month, right? Yeah, it was I want to say it was like four hundred
1: dollars. It yeah. was something, I mean, just pathetic.
0: You're like, woo, big money, big money. Yeah. Bring
1: on the dancing girls. Yeah. Our camp is long too. It's like three months long. And uh so I had like a thousand dollars, whatever I got out. That was like the most money I'd ever had in my life in life. Yeah.
0: You're like, I'm rich. I'm gonna buy a house. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> did you go to uh Lejeune or did you go West Coast, East Coast? Because there's two, right? There's right. there's okay. Which one did you go to?
1: As we say, uh, only women train on the island. So that's uh, that's Paris Island. Okay. And it actually is true because there's three men's battalions out there, but that's also the – it was formerly the only uh, women's uh, training battalion was was it's so?
0: I always find it funny that how – and it's the same in the Army, you know? You go to basic training, and there's different platoons – and they all talk shit about each other, right? And oh, that's Candyland over there. You get it. and it's all the same poi, right? But they build this in the military where oh, we're special, we're up here, they're all down here, and it's all BS, right? Because um, it, it's it, it's the same. I mean, there's minor differences, but it's the same poi, right? For the Marine Corps, like pre-war,
1: that was it forever. Like you were a, you were a Hollywood Marine, West Coast, San yeah. Diego, or uh, women Trade on the island, which was Paris Island.
0: So you went to you went to San Diego. I went to San Diego.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Was there a reason or just because you were closer?
1: It was uh, geographically where I was located. So mm-hmm. everybody, back then, everybody uh, west of the Mississippi River goes to San Diego, everybody east of the Mississippi goes to Paris Island.
0: Okay. This is good because I'm going to Marine Corps tomorrow and I need, an ed- I need an education on the Marine Corps, right?
1: You'll know the story. You'll know the Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. They're, east Coast, they're East Coast guys, so tell them they're a bunch of uh, Nancys because- I'm uh, not
0: saying that. They'll beat me up. <laughs> um, so- <laughs> Did you go into the infantry looking to go to recon or force recon or something like I that? Did. Okay. Do me, do me a favor. Cause this is super confusing. Tell me the difference between infantry recon battalion and force recon.
1: Oh man. This one is, this one is so, this is a long answer because it's so confusing because it's, and Marsoc. it's been, <laughs> it's been so many things over the years. Okay. Uh, and they've things actually changed a lot after they did Marsoc. So in, in my era, in my day, the way it worked was there was a force recon company, and they were they were normally actually like the seniorest of the guys. Supposedly, uh, they did the direct action stuff as well as in the purely reconnaissance aspect. They were supposed to be like the the super deep recon guys, like the three hundred mm-hmm. mile recon guys. Uh, and so we all went to the same school and the recon battalion was supposed to be closer. And we actually did the sniper support for their direct action packages, which is backwards of everyone else in the whole counterterrorism world. That the assaulters are old and the snipers are young, but that's how it worked. Mm. Uh, so that's how it was back in the day. And then things were also super confusing because the Marine Corps did all kinds of screwy stuff over the over the life of, of recon. Uh, at one point, they entirely dissolved recon battalion and it was like a, a regimental level infantry asset. And then they brought it back. And when I went in, there was, there was only two companies. There was a, for the entire East coast, there was a force recon company and there was a recon company. And we were the
0: same unit. Okay. I'm more confused than I was when you started talking. Oh yeah, dude, it's a mess. It's a, it's a total mess. <laughs> so, so Gunny highway was recon battalion, right? Oh my God. That movie Was that anywhere near the truth in the eighties? That movie is so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them are.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. it, uh, it actually kind of was because it, uh, would they have been doing that then? Oh, that movie came out so early. No, okay, that was terrible. Uh, no, they they did do something weird at one point. And this is also why a lot of army guys were confused, like when I was because a lot of recovery showed up at once. Uh, actually, two special forces, and like, so are you like scouts for division? Like, no, yes, mm. kind of. They, they expected us to fill both roles. So back in the day, we were both the Marine Corps Special Operations Asset, as well as uh, did the other, like, you know, support the division stuff. And there's all kinds of weird stuff. Like, uh, like there's a, there's a dishka on the quarter deck of Second Force Recon that they got in, like, 1985 off an Iranian uh, gas and oil platform that they went not hit. Uh, so there was all this weird stuff going on. And it was kind of up and kind of down as far as, like, what it actually was. That was the difference back then. What they've done in the intervening years. So if we fast forward a little bit to like the formation of MARSOC. So not a lot of people know this, but. Uh,
0: MARSOC is Marine Special Operations Command. Just just for people who don't know. Yep.
1: So a lot of people don't know this. We were, the Marine Corps was excluded from the uh, Goldwater-Nichols Act. So not to confuse everybody with a bunch of nerd stuff. But Goldwater-Nichols Act was after the Iranian hostage rescue and all that mess that it was. Uh, these two, I think, I remember they were congressmen or senators or one of each, whatever. They got, they pulled like the money and were like, listen, Department of Defense, like, you will fix this. You will fix this. You will have a SOCOM that's like all the special stuff and, uh, you will be, you know, like organized and not be uh, a mess anymore. Well, the commandant in the Marine Corps stood up and this is like 1986, I think. And he was like, check it out though. Uh, I already have all those capabilities and we call it a MUSOC special operations capable. And we have helicopters and boats and little grunt guys and little, you know, hostage rescue nerds and we have all this stuff. And uh they were like, All right. And he was like, uh, what do you want? He's like, I want to be excluded from this formation. And uh, they're like
0: From so from SOCOM. Special Operations Command. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So just 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 back up a little bit. After Desert One, where helicopters crashed together, was a it was a it was a shit show, right? Marines
1: fly and Navy helicopters. Yeah,
0: it was just bad, right? So they they said, "Hey, everybody needs to work together. We need to make a a, a command of special operations." But the Navy and the Air Force, era. yeah, and it has a three-star general, and uh, so they form form SOCOM, right, with a lot of money, uh, a lot of capability, and all the work, and the Marine Corps were like, eh, we're good. Yeah, we're like, no, we don't want to be a- was, I mean, things were
1: the Wild West before that, actually, too. You know, like Desert One's the one that's well known, but there was all kinds of stuff going on like all over the planet, and it was just like, who was there? You know, yeah. if there was a Navy guy, and would be like, "Give me like a SEAL platoon, I guess," and uh, you know, some other stuff, yeah. and uh, you know, Green Berets doing all kinds of weird stuff like Nicaragua, and Colombia, and all this stuff. But uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so the Marine Corps was like, "We want to be excluded," and because I mean, this was, I mean, this was all new. Uh, they were like, "Okay." Because they still wanted to maintain, like, the tight leash on, like, their guys and have, like, their own... Yeah,
0: they didn't want a general in, in you know, SOCOM making decisions for the Marine Corps. Exactly. Exactly yeah, okay. right.
1: Exactly right. So that was fine, like, for a little bit, I guess. But as SOCOM, like, evolved and got it together and got, like, its general billets and all this stuff, by, like, the time the War on Terror started we had uh, our best advocate was a lieutenant colonel that was our battalion mm-hmm. commander that would be like the highest ranked you know special operations guy if you will in mm-hmm. the marine corps where socom's got like you know a four star general and then a bunch of sub generals and then like mm-hmm. a colonel in charge of a group or a, a seal team you know it was a
0: disaster yeah yeah so they're not they're not going to give you work and then uh, those higher level billets within socom have no marines in them right nope, so they don't. so there's not a navy admiral or a yeah. Army general going to go, oh, uh, we have all these assets and the, all these units working together. Let's reach out and grab Force Recon. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was uh, that was painfully true. So really, when the war on terror started, that was like getting the rug pulled, because before that, you could have like reasonably not known. Like if you were in Ranger Battalion, like you knew a couple of things, you know, like if you're a private, I'm talking like a young guy but you probably didn't like fully understand how like SOCOM worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you were like a, you know, like a senior 7 in Greenbury, you, you did, but like mm-hmm. younger guys anywhere co- reasonably could kind of not understand how that worked. But for us over there, like thinking that we were playing on equal playing field, man, it was like getting the rug jerk, like whoop. we yeah. uh, were like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Marine Corps still didn't want to play. Mm-hmm. They really didn't. Uh, they were like, you know we can do our we'll just you know do stuff the way we've always done we'll we'll marine through this uh but it took man between the years like 2001 and 2003 the uh, the recon force recon communities got absolutely decimated something like 70 percent of the guys left which you know that was still like a kind of like a lifer billet you know some way that like special forces guys are like in for a career
0: did they go did they even go in the army or the navy or something like that, or did you just get out? I went to I
1: went to special forces selection with like seven other recon marines that I hadn't seen in years. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. And mm-hmm. and out of, a, out of what was already a small community, like you know, like three or four
0: hundred dudes. That was a lot. Yeah, they want they wanted to go play right. And, and army, I know Green Berets at the time were recruiting like crazy, man, because you know 2003 we're in two wars. Right. And everybody was, everybody was taking their turns. So they're like, oh, you're already trained? Oh, come on in. Go to selection, go to Q cars. boom. Yeah.
1: And everybody was short still before that too. You know, Clinton years, like ODAs were short. I'm sure I wasn't there. Yeah. Everybody was short, dude. So like, yeah, there was this mad scramble for talent. Yeah. So, so yeah, everybody left. Uh, they either became contractors, went to the Army. Uh, it was funny. Many years later, I would be on an ODA in third group with another guy that I was a recon Marine with. And we yeah. went to Halo school together and met up with his buddy that he was a Recon Marine with. It was on his, his Bud's instructor rotation. So wow. you know, a fair number of guys went to the Navy too, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it absolutely, it decimated him. Mm-hmm. And so they, their hand was kind of forced to like, we're going to have to give up something and, and let, MARSOC be formed, and yeah. uh, we're going to, have to give up some control. And, you know, it's just taken them a while to, to grow.
0: Yeah, it struggled for a little while. It, MARSOC was struggling with this Marine Corps identity and, and, and some of the – but they're, they're actually very, very good now. we we talk about that later. So go back. So in uh, 9-11, you were uh, – talk about going to uh, – recon after, after boot camp. I almost said basic. Then going to infantry school and then going to – uh, did you have to go to selection for for recon battalion?
1: Yes. So so here's how it went back in the day. Right after basic boot camp, I, I did it too. You you curse me, you jinxed me. All the marines out there. Like, You're an army guy now, man. That guy's full of shit. I <laughs> uh, anyway, you got your shot at the title belt, and their selection was like very short compared to what we think it was. SF selection mm-hmm. back then it was like you could either do a screening or what they called an indoc. The indoc is a selection piece, and it was like a one day or two day thing. And, and uh so you at Redford boot camp you could go to the one day thing and uh, i went and man i got crushed uh i just was not physically strong enough did mm-hmm. do you know a bunch of crazy shit you know swim with a brick and all this stuff and uh, the last piece of it I remember, was a five mile ruck run with like a 45 45- if i had a
0: dollar if i had a dollar every time in my career that I had to swim with a brick i i would have no dollars <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, amphibious base service, they are big into the water
1: shit, right? Uh, so uh, we're doing the five-mile rock run, and I'm—I'm I'm still there, but like the medic is running beside me, having a conversation with the last guy running the end dock, and uh, I was like, "Oh, I'm not—I'm not strong enough for this. Not—not not even close." And it was probably a good thing uh, because I—I I don't think I was mentally ready to play that game either. So, uh, so we went to infantry school, and you know that was fine. It's just like infantry school, uh, and then we got the uh, the big surprise. Uh, all of us West Coast guys, this was, uh, this guy's, uh, it was called the Unicohesion Program. We all went to the East Coast and all the guys that graduated in free school that did on the East Coast got on a plane and went to the West Coast. And uh, that was
0: his plan. That's a good use of taxpayer dollars right there. Yeah, Not, solid. For all, for that move with families and everything, could have bought you some good gear. Right, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> could have bought some third-rate gear. Who, you know, anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was their brilliant... What, what was
0: the point in that?
1: So... They had this idea, and they were do- they were doing a lot of crazy stuff. So what they did back then it was called the unit cohesion program. They wanted to try what would happen if we took a like an infantry battalion, and we only had the officers and the NCOs, and then we fed all the privates into it at once, so they would all like cycle out at the same time, instead of like doing uh, traditionally like you know one guy goes to this battalion, one guy goes to, you know however many grunts graduate that day they, they spread them all over the place. They thought they would put them all in one unit and see if that made for like a tighter, more cohesive unit. And that was actually like probably the dumbest thing they've ever done because what it made was a bunch of eighteen-year-old privates that are now unified against their (laughs) officers and NCOs (laughs) and and into mutiny. Actually, being yeah, basically yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I feel bad for those guys. They had a rough time just dealing Mm. with art. You know, it was really it was really stupid. Uh, Mm. And that that basically has probably never happened again except for like, you know, world war two buildups where everybody was new. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that was what happened. So I went to the East coast, which I had never been to. And, uh, it was funny, uh, for all the stuff that we've done now, I had never been in like a forest. So dude, I was claustrophobic.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
1: we got off the plane in Raleigh and like get on the bus and we're driving through the trees. And I'm like, <laughs> that's funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> the, the yeah. west coast training they're like southern California they're like open and there's mm. rocks and you know stuff but uh, I was like this is what I didn't even know this was mm. real wow uh, mm-hmm. yeah so and then so it was actually very good for me as, a, as like a grown up thing it's like learn how to you know operate in like deep cover then we went straight to Panama for like a, a rotation after that so like from that from never having seen trees to in the jungle like oh my god
2: mm. uh,
1: but it was, it was all cool and stuff and then I uh, came back from that trip to Panama, and I spent the whole time, you know, getting stronger and working out every day. I went and took my recon in dock and then uh, transferred over.
0: Okay. What year are we talking about when you went into a recon? So that would have
1: been, that's funny, typical typical Marine Corps stuff. I went to the in dock and passed it in, like, s- m- late summer, 1999. And, yeah, then I didn't get to actually go over because I had to fight. For orders for like seven months <laughs> so i didn't get over to like mid two thousand.
0: okay uh before 9-11 you got there before 9-11 yeah i got okay. there before 9/11. and then uh did you automatically go to sniper school there because no. that that's that you have slots right recon have a certain number of slots to scout sniper school which is going away which pisses a lot of people off oh man dude that was yep. one of their strongest suits it's on the last course right now i i, I know the answer i see and uh, they were running the land. And they finally got the the barrel emeralds and all that kind of. They're turning it into some designated marksman school or something like that. But uh, the Marine Corps used to be the gold standard for sniper stuff. That I remember being at the the competition at Fort Benning, and two Marines with bolt guns M40s crushed everybody. Man, they were rocking that thing and, and uh, they're like racking the bolt and just whack 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 and just tearing their stuff up. But but now somebody in their infinite wisdom are like, ah, we don't need this. Let's get rid of it, you know? Makes total sense. Makes total sense.
1: Yeah, we should have more like bands and silent drill teams and less like snipers and Yeah,
0: it, it's, it's, uh, it's it's dumb. Yeah, that's a stupid decision.
1: It's it's funny and and I'll say this without flashbanging the guys cuz you know Marines are still some awesome dudes and stuff, but the Marine Corps leadership has been for like 50 years. I mean, it's it's a corporation as as much as the armies or air forces and all they actually care about at the higher levels over there is Drill instructors and propaganda value of Mm. like the core. Like, they don't care about actually getting anything done. They care about looking a certain way and, and so they still have like this weird status and, uh, and, uh, and job security.
0: They care about, they care about their next rank is what they care about at the higher levels. And I've seen that. And that's across the military, right? Yeah. So 9 11 happens. Where were you 9 11?
1: Oh, man. Well, we got to fast forward a little bit. So I went to reconnaissance school and that was tough. And then uh, basically the way that works is you get assigned to your platoon or whatever. And you have like, depending on like how well you did at school, you kind of have like.
0: How long was school? Sorry.
1: uh, I think it was three months.
0: Mm -hmm. What kind of stuff did you do?
1: Uh, It was, it was, you know, I don't want to say it was like Bud's because I didn't go to Bud's, but it was closer in concept to like buzz than the Q course was like, you know,
0: so it wasn't, it wasn't an educational course. It was a smoke factor, right? It was,
1: it was a little bit of both, but mostly, yeah, you'll carry the boat and you know, yeah.
0: Were you do, were you doing like the, uh, the old, uh, vehicle ID thing that we used to do where you had to ID all these Russian vehicles and all this crap. Did you do all that?
1: It's funny. I went to Lurslich later uh, Mm. while I was still in the Marine Corps actually. Mm. And I'd never heard of vehicle ID. We didn't do that. Uh, So Mm. I was like,
0: Oh, it's hard. You're, you're, you had the, the cards, yeah, flash cards, and, and then, they, the, you know, when you start learning all the vehicles, and they show you like a bumper of one, and I'm like, I don't know. It looks like a tank. I, I don't know what that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, T72 yeah. uniform. That's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, the stuff we did. How was the gear back then? I, I pretty much know because I was in the Army with the same gear, but maybe, I don't know if it was better or worse, but... Uh, Pretty much the same stuff we had in Vietnam. Yeah. The the Alice pattern stuff. The yeah. M M16s, right?
1: We had M16. I went to. Oh, I have one actually with an M16A2. Okay. Yeah. As a a recon marine. Yeah. Iron sights. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. We had like one ACOG in the platoon. It was crazy. Yeah. Like here's some special boy gear.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh. So (laughs) anyway, you kind of got choice if you were good. I did really well at school or whatever. So you got choice kind of, of like what school you went to and I wanted to go to sniper school. So that was like, that's the one. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, got to go, got my shot at the title belt. And it's funny on nine 11, I would have been a fully qualified recon Marine that had graduated scout sniper school like two months before. And we'd just done a rotation to the desert to, uh, uh, not NTC on where what, what are the Marines called 29 palms? The mm-hmm. equivalent to a, the desert training. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're like, Oh man, I'm ready.
1: Here we go. Put
0: me in coach.
1: It's time to get it. And, uh, yeah, I actually saw the second plane. I think it was a second plane hit from the barber shop at Camp Lejeune. Watch, looking at the TV store across. Remember, we still had TV stores, the TV store across the hallway, uh, getting a haircut because we just come back from, you know, desert shit. And I was like, Oh, what bro? Uh, so yeah, there's nine 11 and, uh, that's where we were. And, uh, Yeah, so that's when that's when things like really fell apart for the Marine Corps. Okay, elaborate. Why? So here we are. We got all these dudes. Like we're all trained, all ready to you know get some or whatever. Uh, We got all the special magic boy schools. Like okay, put us in, coach, and uh, they're like cricket, cricket, cricket. Like okay, couple weeks go by. Uh, Next thing I know, we're doing an amphib build up, like a like a that for us is like boats and stuff for the whole battalion out on the beach and like. Excuse me. Yes. Yes. You last Corporal Martin, like, what would you say that we're doing here? Because, like, fifth group just went to Afghanistan and, like, all this, yeah. you know,
0: not a, not a lot of beaches in Afghanistan or, or Iraq.
1: Yeah. Rangers are doing, you know, jumps into, you know, Kandahar, whatever. There's like crazy stuff going on. I'm like, what are we doing here exactly? And uh, this was this was actually the moment when uh, the whole thing fell apart when I knew I had to leave. So, uh, so there was this dude, and I might call him out because I'd fight him to this day. Uh, there was this dude, I always want to say his name was uh, was Frank Dukes, but I, don't, I think that's the, the fighter from uh, a Jean-Claude movie. The last name was Duke or Duke, something like that. But uh, he was actually a Magni Saw guy. Uh, he was a major, uh, Battlefield Commission, and then the Army, when they were doing things wrong, right after Vietnam, they dx like a whole bunch of SF guys, almost everybody that had a Battlefield Commission, not everybody, but almost everybody, booted them all. And so the Marine Corps was desperate for people back then. So if you were an SF guy in the army, especially if you're an officer, they'd be like, okay, you can come over here be a staff sergeant right now. You can enlist. And so this guy did. And uh, so he was in there all through the eighties. He was the uh, Sergeant Major of recon battalion uh, prior to that. And then he'd already retired. He was kind of like a legend though. Like he was the guy. See, I mean, it does make you a legend. Like Magni saw a guy. And then you're, there, you're like, wow, man, that's yeah. amazing. Uh so anyway, he comes out to the beach, and uh, he's got to be there. He brings it all in. And he's like, "Okay, guys, I just got done talking to the commandant, and you know, whoever the joint, you know, whatever, whatever bullshit he was doing." And uh, he's like, "What I told him is, you guys aren't ready for this war." I'm like, "Motherfucker, what? Like, like what? What did you just say?" And he's like, yeah, you know, I just, uh, I just don't think that uh, you know our, our stuffs together. And uh, so I told him like we we probably shouldn't go to the first part of this. And uh, we're, I'm like, oh
0: my god, was he right? Were you ready? As ready as anybody else? Yeah, nobody was ready. Yeah, nobody was ready. The, the army had been, the military had been gutted. I know, no, and a lot of mistakes were made early on, like throughout the whole thing. But a lot of mistakes made. Nobody, I, nobody was ready. We were learning on the ground. Yeah, right. Exactly.
1: Well, I will say. Easily as ready as he was at 19 his first tour now.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. After six weeks of training, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we're like, hold on, bro. And uh, he's like, he goes to leave though. He's like, hey, you know, we're best mates and all this stuff. And I'm your advocate. So I'm staying at the uh, the base hotel. If anyone wants to talk to me about, you know, other stuff, just like come by. And, you know, I got time for you guys. I'm, I'm here. I'm your dude. So uh, we finish up training at like midnight or something. Me and my, platoon, there's a couple guys that are like of my mindset. and like, get in the truck. We're going by PX, get a case of beer over bang on fucking Sergeant Major Dukes' door. He answered the door in his tidy whities and we're like, case of beer, like, okay, man, we're gonna talk about stuff because I cannot believe you said that. And uh this is the most Marine Corps thing that's ever happened to me. It's like, hey guys, I'm I'm kinda of tired. Like, can you come back tomorrow? And we couldn't come back tomorrow. We had training to do. And I was like, hmm. we're done here. And I went home and I started looking at other options.
0: He floated the the floated the invite but actually never taught somebody to take him up on it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Okay. What what other options were you looking at?
1: Well, at that point, uh, we get out the book and like, okay, uh, who else is in the war? Uh, what's, what's a SOCOM? Like, oh, oh man, they got this. They got all this stuff. Okay. And then basically kind of spectating like, okay, this is what it takes to be a SEAL. This is what they're doing right now. This is Green Berets. This is what they're doing right now. Actually, I, I drove up to Fort Bragg. Went to Sons Group. Don't know how this shit works. Went to Sons Group's headquarters, and uh, there's having some dude walking out. I'm like, "Hey, man, you got a funny hat and a weird patch on." Uh, hey, bro, talk to me about. Uh, I'm I'm Sergeant Martin, by the way, <laughs> from mm-hmm. the Marines. Uh, talk to me about being a Green Beret, man. I'm like, what, what's up? And this guy was like, uh, "All right, man. Uh, you know." So we we talked for you know five or ten minutes, but that was it. that was it, man. It was like after that, I was like making a decision. Like, I'm done here, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a very unpopular sentiment amongst Marines. And I, I, I kind of get where they're at. Cause as you know, the months go by and we're still doing not, we're getting ready for a new or some bullshit, you know, there are guys that are like, okay, we have to like internally, we have to fix this so that we can go like as a brotherhood and uh, you know, we can get our piece of the war. And uh, you know, there was some little tiny stuff going on. Like one of the mews actually did go to uh, Afghanistan. They didn't, they did some Nazi like, you know, took over an airfield that had already been taken over in like, you know, eight at MREs for a week or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, one of our debts was on that, so they came back. And uh, basically, the consensus was, like, either we had to fix this, we had to fix where we're standing and, and get in this, or there was my consensus, which is, uh, fuck these guys, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turned out that was that was kind of what forced them to to fix themselves and make a more soft.
0: It, it probably sounds weird to civilians listening to this that go why would these guys be so enthusiastic to go to war? Right? I I I, I but but it, it's what you train for it is man it's what we do it's what we do man and we were all like that we're like i want to go i want to go and then when we went we wanted to go back and we wanted to go back and we wanted to go back and and it's a weird thing and it's very very difficult to explain to people who've never been in that world uh and it's not a macho thing and it's not about it's not about freaking oh i want to go get okay it's not that it's just it's like uh it's like you trained football your whole life and you never played a game right 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 yeah um, did you have to get out of the Marine Corps and then join the army or could you jump across? No, uh uh actually I ended up we, we went to
1: Iraq and stuff and we came back. I actually got all the way out and went to the National Guard.
0: What year did you go to Iraq? Sorry?
1: Uh, for the invasion. We, yeah, we Oh,
0: you were on the invasion? Yeah. Cool. We are no, were you on one of those weird looking vehicles that are, 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 No no yeah. no. Uh
1: we didn't show up until like the third day. Uh, mm-hmm. we didn't Oh man, this was this was <laughs> so this almost got worse. So we're out on a we're out on a float on a mew, and uh, we're floating around and we're you know doing stuff in Africa and uh, we're cutting gator squares in the Persian Gulf and uh, what
0: the hell is a gator square?
1: Okay, gator squares where they like the ships just basically drive around in a big square. It's how they kill time. Like they need to like loiter somewhere. Yeah, they, they drive around in like you know a hundred mile square. Uh, like mowing,
0: like mowing the yeah. lawn.
1: Like, exactly, and <laughs> it's, it's just because they can't like sit still. They don't like yeah. drop anchor, but they just mm. so. Uh, so we're doing our Gator Squares, and uh, like I watched the first day of OIF on television on a boat, like a hundred miles away, mm. and like uh, okay, and uh, that day the next day, like okay, we're going home. And we're like, oh what we had, man, it was so crazy. This sounds mm. nuts, but uh, like my team, we actually thought about stealing a Zodiac off the boat so that we could go to the war. That would that would have changed your career. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't Damn. think they would have been happy about it. It <laughs> would have been. Happy. I, you know, yeah. Old, old Marine Corps legend is actually full of. Uh, there were guys that like stowed away on airplanes to go to Korea and stuff. Mm. But in those days, like way after the fact, that it was looked at as like a gung ho thing. At the time, I'm sure they got you know a, a yeah. dealing with.
0: Yeah. And uh, if you broke out of the hospital now after you wounded to go back to your unit, you'd get an Article 15.
1: No. <laughs> I am absolutely positive we'd stolen the Zodiac and gone. Oh, yeah. Unless, unless they needed a good news story that day, we would have been screwed. Oh, you would have been. Yeah. You would have charged. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what happened was like that, that night, or maybe the day after that, was when the, uh, they hit Fallujah or not Fallujah, uh, Nazaria, and I uh, took a bunch of casualties and everything got bogged down. And uh, <laughs> they were like, we still have something in the area. So, like, they picked us. They uh, immediately, like, turn around. Oh, my God. And uh, we got on a helicopter and flew to Nazaria.
2: Mm, okay.
1: but uh so we were there probably like the shortest time of anyone in oif because we'd already been out at sea for nine months so we were there for like six or eight weeks or something and we were all stop-loss too uh so i was like four and a half years or something so came back to the states and they booted us all out like get out of here and uh yeah so that was me i immediately uh it's funny one of the guys that was in my recon platoon his brother was a recruiter in west virginia uh, and knew he might have even been qualified. An
0: arm, army recruiter.
1: Army recruiter, mm-hmm. yes. So knew about the uh, the 19th Special Forces Group, which is the National Guard group uh, mm-hmm. battalion that's there in West Virginia. So that was somebody like that we like we knew that wasn't going to bullshit us. And uh, I can't remember if I'd been talking to him before we went to see or not, but anyway, met up with him. Like, okay, man, I'm out. And uh, me and one of my one of my teammates actually like enlisted in the army together right
0: there. Okay, but even though you got to go to war technically with the Marine Corps, it wasn't enough to keep you in. Was it? Was it a bad experience? Um, and I, I don't want to be bashing the Marine Corps, but let, let's just have a conversation, right? So, was it? Was it the leadership? Was it the mission? Was it the gear? What What's made you go? Okay, I've been at war now with the Marine Corps. Finally, made it. I'm out. Well, One of the big things. One of the big things, honestly, was
1: when we flew. We flew into Kuwait first, so we hit this. We went in this uh, hangar, whatever. And uh, this had actually happened to Recom Marines once before in the early in the '90s, uh, early '90s. Right after Silicon was really formed, like ninety-one, ninety-two, a whole bunch of Recom Marines left and went to both the Air Force and the Army for that time too. So we get to this hangar, and it's uh, for some reason there was a bunch of uh, Air Force soft there, and this Air Force dude is like a, I don't know, he's a technical mat, whatever bullshit. He was like lance corporals with the sergeant gunnery sergeant that was in charge of our debt, and he's like, Bob, what are you doing? We're like, what are going. Things like like oh, come here and uh so he took us back and gave us like a real brief like what was going on like uh mm-hmm. like a like a real boy intelligence brief and uh, we're walking through there and dude i've got like you know an m16a2 and some bullshit and some crap and we walk into their hangar and they got like atvs with barrett's on them and like all this crazy shit and they've been doing all this fifth group was there too they've been doing all this and we're like what man like i didn't even know this was an option like i thought this all this shit came out of a chuck norris movie like no man this is uh yeah, this is real
0: yeah the motorcycle with the rockets on it and stuff you know you know on, honestly clay being on the resource like that early in your career probably helped you a lot later on because when you got gear you you appreciated the gear and whereas right. now guys come in and they're like gimme 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 and they have no idea what it was like not that long ago <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah so being on the resource like that makes you resilient the most the most innovative people i've ever seen in the, in my life are poor people yes like, true. like, that's like, that's like true. people in afghanistan who drive along the road and they got a car with a motorcycle in, in the front part, the motorcycle and the back of the car you ever see the 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 photograph where the guy's jump starting a vehicle with an AK forty seven. But yeah, uh, that that
2: is crazy. Th- they're like super
0: innovative, you know. I think I think we do get a little spoiled. Now, that being said, we all like gear. We all like good gear. But uh yeah, having an M sixteen with iron sights. Yeah. And everybody else got optics and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I at least you made the invasion, right? I I didn't make the invasion. I was on the freaking Q course, but yeah so uh, did you you finished your they they lifted the stop loss right so they allowed you to get out and then you you basically said okay i'm completely out i'm going to the recruiter and i'm going to join the 18 x-ray program is that is that kind of what it was uh it, it's weird for
1: national guard it was weird back then you had the option of going 18 x-ray or you had the option of uh just enlisting so they made me an 11 bravo and there, there were support billets at uh, a group for Eleven Bravos for some reason. I don't know. National Guard type is weird. They can do all kinds of mm. weird,
0: like they are state element, right? So they're kind of they're a lot more flexibility. Whereas Reserve is federal, right? So yeah. So,
1: uh, so I enlisted just as an Eleven Bravo Two Nineteen Special Forces group and uh, and showed up and was like, okay, man, uh, you know, here's my stuff. And uh, when selection. They're like, you want to go to selection? Like, you
0: didn't have to go to basic again. No, that was a
1: very fortunate thing about being a Marine. Uh There's all kinds of like weird standards for, but I guess because the Marine Corps basic training is the longest, it it counts for all the other services. Mm. And again, in typical Marine fashion, they won't take it the other way. Like if mm. you, you know, that yeah. yeah. Like, oh no, you're not special enough. You gotta, you I know, know right? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh So fortunately, though, the other services do count it. So I didn't have to go to basic or AIT. AIT, no, mm-hmm. uh, that's a, cool. Being, being an 0311
0: that probably made the decision a whole lot easier.
1: It did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Although, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Although actually could have gone to the Navy as well without having to go to basic training mm. again. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a weird, weird thing. But uh yeah, walk in, like, okay, man, when selection, they're like, Do you want to you want to go to selection? Like, yeah, because a lot of guys, this is a weird National Guard thing. A lot of dudes want to like touch the magic just enough. They they want to be in the group. And mm. that means have the little arrowhead patch and be in the group, but not have to do anything.
0: Yeah, be a support uh, guy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or being just like a, a they call it a training platoon. You can be in the training platoon for like five years, nobody gives a shit. Mm. Uh, but you're 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 cool enough, but you don't have to go do anything hard. Mm. So uh yeah, it's not like I want to go slash you. and they're like, Okay, sweet, man. Oh shit, we got one next week. Go. Mm-hmm. Uh so I went and you know if, a very a very odd thing special forces selection is a weird unique animal uh it's it's cool in its own right and it's awesome but it was it was very fortunate to have a background of doing a bunch of like hard stuff so mm-hmm. that made it you know that made it a, a lot more it made my decision to immediately go to selection like a pretty easy one. Like yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's and it's a mental thing, right? Even without the physical, you 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 can understand the game. You've played the game. You kind of understand. I I just I don't know if it's going to post before this one. Probably not. But I interviewed uh CSM Strong, who you know. I, I oh yeah, believe. yeah, yeah. Love so him. He, yeah, we're boys, the, man. Oh, great guy, man. Um, he's the the command sergeant major of SWIC, the special. Warfare Training Center, right? Massive organization. We talked about selection. And you know the older guys are always like, oh, selection's so easy now. And there's a strong argument to say it's harder because they have tracking vests on the students now where, and I've seen it, they have big screen TVs. They can pinpoint their location. They can tell if they're walking the road. They can tell if they're running, tell if they're walking, tell if they're sleeping. You can't get away with anything. Whereas, like, this guy was... Kind of short on time, jumped on the road hauled ass one night. Assumed risk, right? So there's an argument to say it's harder now. So you can't get away with anything. So I, I don't. I don't buy into this old. Oh, it, I went to the last hard course.
1: Oh, you and I have trained together. I know some things about you, but
0: oh, you do. <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> what the hell does that mean?
1: I'm a pretty ethical guy. No, it's funny. No, it, it is funny though. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up and tell a story about a uh, sniper school again real. Quick. Marine sniper school. I'm of the same mind of like whatever it takes to uh, to win. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, without cheating, but mm-hmm. I will I will I will bend the shit out of the rules though if mm-hmm. you give me any, any a second. Yeah. So uh, one of the big things at Marine sniper school that kills people is uh, land nap. because it's yeah. not like it's not like selection land nap where it's like twenty miles stuff. It's more like a thing you do every night. And the points are you know two one or two kilometers apart, mm-hmm. but they're camouflage boxes hidden in the woods. So it was difficult. Mm. Uh, it was mostly it was stressful because you had to run, you couldn't be on road all this other stuff. So you get like two nights of practice, and then like the next week you had like two or three nights to get all your points, whatever.
0: I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Clay. Where, where is sniper? Where is Scott Sniper Single held?
1: Uh, for me, it was at uh, Stone Bay in North Carolina.
0: Okay, that's where we're going next week.
1: No, it's like a swamp, dude, jungle, super thick vegetation, mosquitoes, mosquito. Oh yeah, take me some off. Snakes. Oh <laughs> right, yeah, those too. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah
0: uh, South Carolina, man. So, uh, so it was like a
1: shorter course, but it's difficult, and there's a possibility you could fail. Well, clay logic, they said you can't take a GPS. It's just you can't run on the roads, and they said whatever. But they never said you can't go to everybody else in the class and get all the points and write mm. them down on a piece mm-hmm. of paper. And then on the weekend, when you're not training because you have the weekend off, go out in your Jeep with a GPS and a machete and hack down all the vegetation vest- <laughs> right around. Wow. There, to-
0: That's dedicated. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But again, you know, I'm a no fail guy.
0: I, I've, I've taught Land Nav here a bunch of times, and a lot of 18 series uh, kids haven't been selection yet come. And I'm like, look, the na- Land Nav area out at, uh, um, what do you call the Land Nav area out here? Hoffman. It's public land. You can go out there. Nobody can say jack shit. It's public land. Now, I'm not telling you to hack down the vegetation. You go out and get familiar. To me, that's not, that's raising your level of training. It's not cheating. I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah, it's gray area, man. Shades of gray. That's one of
1: the things that I feel like they should actually, and they may actually do this. Like, one, I just don't know it. But finding people that like think that way, like mm. that's that's creative.
0: It is, yeah. When I was a first sergeant, when I, when I was a first sergeant training the warrior leader course for junior soft NCOs, we had a big layout. on they're locked in the cat McCall, and they, we had a big layout one time, and they, I, I had fourteen green berets working for me, right. And you get these young E sevens who want to hold students to a higher standard than they whatever held to, right? And they came to me one day and they're like, we need to kick this guy out. And you know, if you get kicked out of an NCOES school, your career's done, right? So I was like, what did he do? Uh, and they were like, oh, he had a, he, we had a layout yesterday and he was missing three items and now he has them. And what we think happened was he got to a phone, called his buddy and his buddy threw him over the fence. I was like, good for him, man. That's good. That's the guy I want. I was like, did you catch him? No. Oh, boom. Good for him. Boom! That, yeah, love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was that was actually a funny thing about growing up in my era in uh, in recon was that was very much a thing. It was uh, it was almost like that that Spartan thing of like you're never punished for what you do. You're punished for getting caught.
2: Yeah,
0: and that yeah. was like
1: vocalized if you if it happened. Like if you fucked up and got caught, like well you're mm. gonna pay for it.
0: Not cheating. You're not trying.
1: <laughs> and there, there's <laughs> something to be said for that mentality.
0: There is to a point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. So, uh, scout sniper school was that. Because, like, I never went to the Fort Benning Army Sniper School, uh, and, and Special Forces Sniper Course is a gentleman's course, because it's Rangers, Green Berets, and Delta Force operators, and they've already proven themselves, so it's very, very much an educational course, there's no really yelling and screaming, crawling around swamps or any of that, was the, the Marine Corps Scout Sniper School like that, was it a smoke fest, was it a rite of passage, that type of thing when you went?
1: and it actually is funny being one of the uh, one of the guys that's like you, uniquely qualified to talk about books. People always ask that they want to know if it was like SF one harder or the Army mm-hmm. or the uh, Marine Corps was harder. And they are right, exactly right. They are two completely different animals. Uh, especially in my era, like pre-war, like the uh, the the Marine Corps Scout Sniper School was. I mean, it was like a selection process mixed with some other. It was harsh. Like mm-hmm. you were not a human yet. Like you know, you're getting you know smoked and. And mess with all the time and uh, a lot of that stuff like the land nav course that was not to see if you could land that really that was to like keep you up and stress you out when you had to get up and shoot the next day so it was a very mm. different animal yeah uh, and it, you know it's two different completely different things uh you know yeah so it was i mean it's a completely different thing
0: yeah there's probably a, there's probably a need for both at a certain element right um the, like, if you have, to me, if you have students crawling through a swamp for, for half a day or road marching and all that, they're, like, all the stuff we learn in sniper school for special forces, it's a nine-week course. We barely had time to learn it all, right? Whereas if you waste time doing road marches and all that kind of there's stuff, you can teach them, right? I remember you breezing through sniper school, and we had both been snipers before, so we had a background, and we were in the CIF company, of third group, but we were able to go to hotnets and learn before we went there. And uh, your partner... Oh, Oh, we're going to bring up this. No, 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 no. We're not. We're not. We're ah, not. Okay, okay. But I, I remember uh, who you were partnered with and a uh, little bit of a challenge, probably. Bowed up an instructor and we all got our ass chewed. That was funny, man, because the NCIC, where well, there was six of us from the same unit, the SIF the company of their group, and the NCIC pulled us all out one day and just chewed our ass. And I was like, what the hell happened? I wasn't even there. Yeah, even though it's a peer to peer relationship, you're all sevens and E eights in some cases. You, you you're your instructors, at first name terms and it's all that, but you can't bow up on people. No. And, no and not, so... not, you're still a student. Right. And and what I was when I ran that school it was Nancy UIC, I used to brief everybody and be like, this is a peer to peer relationship. Until you change that dynamic by bowing up an instructor, by I had a student one time who people get busted on stocks and they get mad. It's part of learning. Right, Right? And I remember this guy got busted on a stalk and he was back at the truck and I walked up there. I said, it's USC. I'm a master sergeant. And he's like an E6 or an E7. And I go up, and I'm like, hey, what happened? I'm just curious. And he turns around and, like, bows up on me. And I'm like, you better take two steps back, son, or I will fucking wipe the floor with you. And who the hell do you think you're talking to, you know? But they get mad. And then you, you have a debrief, and people are like, oh, this or that. And I'm like, look, guys, maybe, just maybe, you don't have as much game as you think you do. And in, in the testosterone capital of the world, man, guys get butt hurt by that. I- but they need that. Learning. Learning, failing shit is a great way to learn. And it put, like you are talking about, you went know, to recon school and failed initially. Great education. Hey, I need to put more effort in here, 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 here. And we had a great graduation rate at sniper school, but you had to earn it, right? And the stress is put on by the standards. You don't artificially have to run people through a swamp with their ghillie suit to put stress on. You put your own stress on yourself because nobody wants to fail because we're all that high-performing, a-type personality who've never really failed a lot in our whole life. And, and that's where the stress comes from. We don't need to yell and scream at you. I nerd. don't want to.
1: I think it's very important though, also for uh for special forces sniper I mean, with Sodic. Somebody else has already done that. You've already mm-hmm. been through like the swamp yeah. and you know, yep. you've already done mm-hmm. it. So you don't so it, yeah. it's it's completely different animals. Um, yeah. but it actually it served me well uh to have previously done that. I, I'm actually gonna tell a story on myself. Uh, about my evolution as a sniper, but between the two services, mm-hmm. so uh, I could do all the field skill stuff. Man, I was I was able to mm-hmm. stock extremely well.
0: I remember that. I remember you crushing it. You used to transplant your vegetation in front of you to put up screening and all that. I built the hide sites for the other two teams from our company every yeah. time. Yeah. And your partner, your your sniper partner was at school was a big dude, so hiding him was not easy. <laughs> it was not easy, right?
1: Right. Uh, but the, if if I was gonna say the one thing that that would actually was actually more difficult uh, at Marine Cyber School as opposed to Sodic, and this could you could call this like they played the game too hard. They played the game at like eleven because stalking, it's a very questionable merit thing. And if you if you're a grown up and you take a look back, like hold on, like let's. At the Marine Corps, like because it was a rite of passage, like they were they were brutal mm-hmm. and they were good. They were incredibly mm-hmm. good. And uh, actually, I shot the uh, the chief sniper for Second uh, Marine Division back then was a legend. He he killed like three uh, BRDMs in the Gulf War, and he could spot anything. These guys were amazing at it. And uh, when I really got stalking, when I I you know I failed a, a couple times initially, but after I got it, after mm-hmm. it clicked, I uh, my last stock. I shot him from like 15 20 yards with my web planks
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh but the chief like the guy mm. and they were like when I stood up they were like there's no fucking way that this happened
0: mm. but you can't you can't look at that logically right you're, you're not gonna stalk to it in 20 yards no I't got a scope as far no but but I just to explain it you know because people would be like why were you why'd you get that close you're forced to get that close because you have to implement the principles of, of, of everything, like um, screening, backdrop, natural veg. Like, you have to do it all right. And they put you in this... Like, anybody who crawls into a firing position like this, and like in the movies, and it takes you 24 hours to get in because you're moving at a snail's pace, once you shoot... It's a suicide mission. Once you shoot, you can't get away. You have to have a cover to ride. So the, the standards are, are tweaked to force you to perform, but sometimes they're unrealistic. But you can't look at them like that. It's a means to an end to educate you.
1: Yeah. But mm-hmm. but overall, my point is like, I was good. I was incredible at the field skills, but I could not shoot for shit.
0: Mm. That's why you have to be good at stalking because you have to get close because you suck at shooting. I, I that was my line. Like, I will knife this guy, I will get him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But
1: uh, so I couldn't shoot for shit. Uh, I actually passed uh, the Marine Scout Sniper School, like that, like the known distance shoot with my last bullet. Yeah, you know, mm. I don't remember what the standard was. We had to hit. You know, you don't
0: want to be an overachiever, Clay. No.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> last, I mean, last bullet left. Mm. And then uh, same thing. I went to Urban Sniper as the Marine Corps, and I, I struggled a lot with the marksmanship. Like all the other stuff, I could do, but the marksmanship that was just my, that was my weakness. And uh, this is crazy, but this is one of those times. But uh, when I checked into the company, actually to the SIF, uh, I would I didn't I didn't even actually want to go to the SIF. But when I went to check in, uh, I knew
0: for some. Oh, you went, did you go straight to the SIF when you went into the group?
1: Uh, after I was in nineteenth group, so I went and did a tour.
0: with... Oh, yeah, because then you you had a two years on an ODA before you were allowed to go to SIF. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, I, I cross decked, or I left nineteenth group. They assigned me to third, and uh, that was at a time though when the SIF was really light on dudes. Mm. and uh so i was actually part of that group they took they took a lot of guys straight from the q course all at once like seven or eight and i don't remember how many made it uh but the whole reason i was there i actually wanted to go to uh three two five over in first battalion Mm. i had friends on that team uh but when i went to check into group i knew the kid like the support kid and he's like look man you uh you got to get out of here uh because the next like three echoes that check in the third group are going to the sigdad I'm like oh ah. yeah so I still I still had like leave time or some something that I didn't have to report so I picked my paperwork and went home well
0: you you went you went straight to the sniper team as did I, as did I, because normally, uh, yeah, because I was a sniper before, right? And, right, and usually you have to spend some time as an assaulter, but I was an older guy, I had a sniper background, blah, 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 right, but you went, to, uh, I went to a really great team, and you went to a really great team too, and, and you had Jeff Melton as your team sergeant, who's a freaking rock star, man, I woke up Jeff Jelton later, he was my company sergeant major later, I was in Afghanistan with him, love Jeff, man, man. Yeah. fucking great guy great guy he's an instructor out at rubbin sage now as a contractor that's awesome but super dude man so you went to a really good team what year was this oh six or oh seven
1: this was uh oh seven right after you guys got back because i was i was actually fresh back i was there at the same time but i was in a 19th group team
0: so so uh, tong who was a sniper on that team got killed in oh six right yeah he was awesome guy too man he was like
1: one of my echo instructors, actually,
0: was he really? Yeah, wow, he was. man, I feel chills now talking about him, man, because he was a freaking great guy, and he got killed in 06, and then you you probably replaced him on that team.
1: Well, this was actually the weird thing because, like I said, I knew him; he was my echo instructor, and then I got most of tongue stuff when I checked into that team. Like the kid yeah. still said, "Win on him and shit."
0: Oh man, that's a rough one. Yeah, I remember that. Like Johnny Crocker was on that team. You had a lot of really solid guys, man. Yeah. Well,
1: and it, it's it's also it's also incredibly weird. And we say replacing but let's say taking the, the the spot of a dead man because also it's 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 unfair but everybody also kind of compares you to what was in that hole before yeah
0: yeah you know in so, yeah.
1: in a way kind of they don't even do if somebody just moves on or gets promoted out yeah uh, there's like a residual kind of in us. Uh, so that and
0: he was loved he was loved
1: yeah and mm-hmm. from what everybody says you know us arguably like the best all around dude yeah. like, has ever been there. And, you know, and won the J sock small arms championship. And was a great long gun. Uh, know, he, he, yeah,
0: he was. Yeah, he was. Um, also uh, took the uh, long way around from cup com- for combat.
1: Uh, you know, so dedicated. He was a first group guy, so dedicated that he went and took a Swick tour because first group wasn't really in the war much back then. Went and took a Swick tour so that he could change groups and go to third group and get his, get his Jihad on. And yeah, you know, yeah, yep.
0: yep. Um, yeah, it, it, that that's horrible. But we we were when you got there, we were knee deep in combat. Like, oh yeah, we really were. I was on my third trip to Iraq, and and we were knee deep in combat. So you hit it at a really really advantageous time, which sounds weird, but but we we and and more. And the reason I wanted to go there is because I knew that that unit were.
1: Oh man, they were killing. Bringing us. it. They were fucking.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and we did lose some guys, but we paid back with interest tenfold.
1: It's a. Uh... It's a it's a funny thing and uh you know like I, I I was on my third tour of of various tours by the time I got to the, the SIF. And uh, you know I was like a tough guy, man, for like where I was from. Like I was mm-hmm. always like the aggressive guy in those other places. Mm-hmm. And it took that first night in the SIF and I was like, "Holy shit, these
0: well, well you, those those sniper teams the b three were probably the most senior teams absolutely in third group, but maybe in the regiment. Like you know, you had a bunch of very senior E7s who'd been to war so many freaking times, but the culture on those, both those sniper... Because th- normally you go to, say, if you're an assaulter for a couple of years and then you go to the snipes, right? Well, you you and you, me both just drop into the, the thick of it with these guys. I was The same with me. I was on a regular team in uh, their group for a while and I wasn't impressed with them. And I went over there and I was like, oh my God, the standard is just different here. These guys are warriors. I have found my home. They're great. i great. I'm friends with most of them to this day, right? But as, a, as a as a new guy in that, like even if you were
1: like the the badass dude or the aggressive dude, it's like you have to run to keep up now. Like you, you have to run mm-hmm. to like you know hang on to the tails, and it was uh, that was eye opening. I mean, it was shockingly eye opening.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some guys, some guys have dropped into those teams like that and failed, and they're good dudes on on other teams, but they just they're too – We had a guy came and he was a great guy and all that, but he failed and got got kicked off those teams because there's no room for. Below the standard, you know, performance. You gotta perform.
1: Yeah, you got a you got a very short window to be able to to, to catch up, and if you yeah. can't, like, it's not gonna work out for you.
0: So you got there, and they sent you straight to the sniper school.
1: Well, okay. So yeah, this is correct. my this is my this is my evolution of uh, clay, Sucks at shooting. Because there's a point to the, point to the story. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't, wa- I didn't really want to go to the SIF, but uh, my my neighbor actually, where the house I just bought was major painter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went across the street and he was like, oh, I'm in third group. Like, here's the thing. He's like, let me, let me help you out. So, uh, as much as an officer can, like he made a phone call and I got to at least go talk. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I was the first one. I didn't have any of the guys straight from the course yet.
0: You go to, you talk to Pat Mefford.
1: I talked to Pat Mefford and he goes and gets Jeff Melton. So, uh. Jeff
0: oh man. So I'm
1: like, mm-hmm. and, and I, dude, I had just done a tour when I was in 19th group where we were attached to 10th group. And 10th group has a totally different culture than 3rd. 10th mm-hmm. group. All the groups do. They were such dicks, though. Those guys, they, it's like they were back in, in Germany, like, pre-war, because they were yeah. very much the, like, ah, oh, new guy. You know, you went on a mission. You owe us a bottle
0: of I hate that. You know, I talked to Lee Strong about that, because he's been in three groups. He's been in 1st group, 3rd group? group, and 10th group, yeah. And I asked Oh, him yeah, about that's the, right. I asked him about the culture. Yeah, he was the 7th group CSM, right? So his first... First, seventh, and third. Sorry, he's the seventh group CSM. He's a third group, and he started the first group. Asked about that culture because it's very interesting. He said the groups take the culture of their AO, right? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Tenth group, Germ- Germany, right? Europe, right? Eurotrash. <laughs> um, freaking seventh group, South America, They they take on that culture because they're ingrained in it. They learn the language, they learn the culture, they learn, and they become very, very, you know, embedded in that culture, which, which I find fascinating. Right. Well, so I didn't know third group's culture yet, obviously.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm, I'm expecting to have to deal with like a, a sergeant major and a, and a team sergeant from 10th group who w- it would, it would have been fine, but it would have been different. Like, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm like, yeah, fuck, here we go. So he goes against Jeff. Jeff's like, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so here's the deal. Like, do you know what SIF is? is? Like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the only thing I knew about it was like some of the force recon dudes I knew on my dad had like done something with c 110 one time, like a training thing. You know, like so I'm like, uh, you know, no, I think he goes like a direct action cover, some bullshit. He's like, uh, close enough. And uh he's like, all right, uh, you know, you're a sniper uh from the Marine Corps, like any good? And i like wide. I'm like, yes. Like Knowing that best. I can't shoot shit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, if you want a picture taken from 15 meters away, like I got mm-hmm. you done. Just, you know, like mm-hmm. but I don't want to tell my I socket I don't want to tell my socket shooting, and I don't know what the hell they do. Uh I don't I'm not gonna tell my socket shooting, but I don't want to go to the SIG dead either. So I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm great at it. Fantastic. Uh, so we we'll go through whatever, and he's like, okay, you know, we'll try it out. But Here's the deal. like, You got to pass. I think they said it Sephardic for Sephardic. Like, you got to pass Sephardic, and uh, if you don't, like, mm-hmm. wait.
0: And I was like, okay. So Sephardic is the, the CQB hostage rescue school that everybody has to be qualified in, even snipes, right? Because we, we, as snipers, we had an emergency assault, assault criteria. If you're in a hostage situation, it's people getting killed, that sniper's got to go in. Um, just I'm, I'm clearing that up for people. Yep.
1: Well, I'm also concerned about this because I have like no pistol experience.
2: Like, mm.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, fuck, you know, Like, I have a pistol, but you know, yeah. I, I think
0: you hold mm-hmm. it this way. You know, the bullets go out. The- do you remember? Do you remember you had to shoot into Sodic at that time? You remember going out to Jeff's uh, land? Yeah. And putting up targets and practicing. We were the first class to ever have to shoot in. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. I actually sh- I shot into Sephardic too. We did too. Because I I I had no slot. But I, 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 I could shoot a pistol really well. Yeah, yeah.
1: I didn't have a slot to Sodic. That's how I got mine.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So anyway, so I, I'm not going to tell them I suck at shooting. And also, I've just dealt with, like, tense group's bad attitudes and shit. So I go down to the team room, and they're like, you know, hey, we're going to Todd Nets or so, some shit. Like, civilians are going to teach us how to shoot long guns, which I laughed at. Like, fucking mm-hmm. like civilians are going to teach us how to shoot long guns. You. Yeah.
0: You're not laughing now. Yeah, no,
1: no, <laughs> shit. But I didn't say anything. This is yeah. a fortunate thing about being under, like, tense group's boot. I'm like, Roger, Sergeant. Cool. So, you know, we're, we go out, and uh, this, is, this is no shit, man. This is the magic sauce that was Todd Hodnet. Like, five minutes with Todd Hodnett. And it was when, do you remember this, when he taught us the first time ever had a load of bipod to shoot, to shoot mm-hmm. an SR-25?
0: Yeah, I, I learned a lot in that school. I really did, yeah. You know, that, that's like an evolved
1: thing now. And like, you know, I I neutral load instead of like hard load or whatever. But that was like the first time anybody ever said that.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: for whatever reason, man, that shit clicked with me. Uh, and I, I don't know if I've ever told anybody else this in my life, but five minutes of that and I could shoot and hang with everybody. Cause we were doing crazy stuff. too. Remember, we're mm-hmm. shooting like uh LaRue targets at like 900 yards and like 20 yeah. mile wind, things that were impossible. Yeah. Uh, wind wise. But, uh, I was like stunned because I could shoot now. And that mm-hmm. was like, and I, I was like, just a missing piece, man. It's just a missing piece. Yep. And that became a strength, uh, yep. going forward to that. So, you know, I went to Sephardic right after that, uh, you know, past whatever, uh, adapted well enough to that. Then, uh, yeah, I shot into Sodic with, uh, with you, and, uh, yeah, then we started the Sodic thing
0: and that was. So let me, let me, let me back you up. So you got to go to Todd Hodnett's Sephardic, Sodic, and combat all in the one year. In six months. Dude, that's a badass year right there. <laughs> few... That dude. And that 07 trip was no joke. Oh man. That yeah, was wild, yeah, bro. Yeah. It was. That's crazy, man. You, you packed more into that year or six, eight months, whatever it was than, than most people. Mm-hmm. It was so great. But, uh. Cause Sephardic and Sodic are the best two courses in the military. That, hey, I, I should have had my
1: own parking spot at range 37. Like the, <laughs> the, the Sephardic instructor see me walking. The sodic they're like, nobody gets to do those back to back. Like,
2: what I are know. you still doing here?
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but that was my shooting journey, man. That really does matter though. And it was a huge deal. Cause like I said, I couldn't shoot where the shit before, and then it became a strong suit. And uh, mm. I'll, I'll, I'll tell a Kevin Owen story while I'm here. Uh, you, you and your partner ended up being the top guns out of our Sodic class, mm-hmm. but yep. it was, it was a close run thing. Mm. uh between me and my partner.
0: I, when I got there to work, I I and I I missed onograd, right? Because Did the, you? Got, yeah, I didn't we we were the top shooting team, but I was very close between me and another guy uh for onograd. And I was like I don't even care, right? When I got there, I looked it up and he beat me by like two points. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I I looked up the scoring, yeah, whatever, man. But um I, I mean, I'd been a sniper before, you've been a sniper before. So we were very comfortable with all, especially all the field craft type, the, you know, stalking and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. After I could shoot them, like, we're
1: going to Sodic, like, whatever. Yeah, and then, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Stocking lanes. I really did. I ran around and I remember I was putting vegetation in for my partner so they could pass because they sucked at mm-hmm. the stalking. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know,
0: we- my, my partner, I didn't realize, but once I crawled through, uh, because he was following me cuz I was very experienced at it once we were on a stalk and I crawled through poison ivy I very quickly learned he was allergic to poison ivy <laughs> Yeah for Brian man Oh yeah. it's
1: fu- it's brutal dude mm. that's fucking brutal Yeah but uh yeah but that was an incredible journey for me and uh, and getting to go back and you know I still learned a bunch of stuff at Sodic, and uh had a really good small group instructor that I'm still friends with to this day mm-hmm. Uh who was it Mikey Rodriguez Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ran right into mm-hmm. him at Shot Show when he's making that uh, knives for CRKT, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of a weird relationship. He learned a lot from us too, mm-hmm. uh, in a way, because me and my partner had both just come from Hot Nets, and we had yeah. to And he was kind of he
0: was kind of in the old stuff and all that, right? He was in the old school way of doing things.
1: But it was also his first class, mm-hmm. and he was also he was very receptive though, which mm-hmm. is kind of unique.
0: Some people aren't, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Some people yeah. aren't, but he was. He was like you know, and you know, we we had a very good relationship that lasted for you know, many years after that.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Talk to me about the 07 trip. That that to me, that 07 trip was the pinnacle of my very long career. Um yeah, we we pulled up on the first mission in 07 because I was I was there with you but we were separated. We were working unilateral operations for JSOC. You were working the Iraqi Counter Terrorist Force. You know, somebody asked me recently, I did a caffeine and questions thing that I do, and they asked me if you were if you were taken hostage what non US soft unit would you want to go rescue you? And I said the Iraqi counter Oh yeah, man, they it's kill everything exper- they do. They they experience is the best teacher. Them boys have been at it for so long and they're so good. They really are, man. They're they're pipe hitters. Anyway, but they were, uh, they were coming
1: for you that they liked too, man. Yeah, I feel no. bad for I feel bad for oh, yeah. took you. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that been a
0: bad yeah, day yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's gonna be a lot of no, death. Um, <laughs> but, but so when when we went, you were working with the Iraqi Counter Terrorist Force. I was working with unilateral ops. I'd worked with the ICTF and the EU the four. before. Um, but we pulled up. We were in strikers, hitting target. We pulled up, and it was getting bright. We would hit a bunch of targets on the very first mission, and the ramp went down. and RPG f- passed the ramp, uh, yeah. And we're like, "Oh, it's on!" And I think on your first mission, you, you, I think that's where our XO got shot. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. Was that yeah? Kent got shot, and he he'd been my team leader the year before.
1: Well, that that was my introduction to the uh, to the SIF. So mm. you know, like I said, I'd, you know, I'd done some tours before, and you know, we'd done some stuff or whatever. Uh we flew uh we went into Karbala and nobody touched Karbala in a while, and it was just, I mean, absolute chaos. Mm. And uh Kent Kent went with us because uh Kent was supposed to be the XO of the company at the time. So he'd basically been told, like, you're gonna have to, you know, sit in the chair over here and do admin stuff,
0: yeah. The I'd so, yeah. That.
1: And we were still kind of doing a switchover, so we didn't even really fully have control of the battle space yet. But we were mm. going, and kid's like, I want to go, you know, come on, let me do something. And I think we even loaned him, like, a gun. Because, like, mm-hmm. I think he was one of those weird situations where he didn't even get to have a gun that year. Yeah. So uh, he flew in the helicopter next to me, actually, uh, mm-hmm. to Karbala. And uh, we get off, and Kent's running around doing Kent stuff and uh, crazy stuff. And uh, then he got shot uh, and shot those two dudes that shot him. But he was messed up, too, man. Mm-hmm. Both for morals. And that one went, I, th- I think was under his
0: armor. Went under his armor, across his shoulder blades and dug in. Yeah. And, and again, SF Medics, phenomenal. Freaking Phenomenal.
1: Thank God didn't spine him because it was like a quarter inch, you know, it yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know, the kints hit, uh, we got all these fast ropes and shit. And then also there was so much resistance that, uh, they couldn't, they couldn't come back and get us. Like mm-hmm. most things were like, we can't land there. There's a specter gunship flying over just blowing shit. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, this is nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, probably the, one of the craziest things was, you know, if you're on like a regular team, you used to work with like. 12 dudes or i just i was on a split team actually my last tour before there's like six of us and like mm-hmm. you know, 20 Iraqis. this is just like dudes everywhere there's stuff going on there's like
0: there's helicopter gunships there's specter gunship there's like breaching yeah, shit, like, yeah. All
1: over. and yeah. I, I mean it was completely
0: out of mm-hmm. control completely yeah. not did you do any sniper stuff that year or was it just rooftop it was you know, basically don't...
1: like a, a assault into dmr uh yeah we mm-hmm. were uh That was kind of how we...
0: Backpacking the SR-25, running the house with a 10-inch gun. Yeah, that's where the 1-6 to came from because we wanted to produce an optic where I can power down, clear a house, get to the roof, go to 6-power, go to work, right? Because I didn't like carrying two guns. Instead of
1: having to carry two guns.
0: Two guns, yeah, yeah. But yeah, a lot of combat, a lot of combat. And we did lose some guys, but like I said earlier, we paid back with interest and uh, it really did bring the fight.
1: Well, like you said to me, those dudes as the company were so vicious and so like talented that Mm -hmm. it was, I mean, it was incredible to, uh, to, to even just see, but then they it had to was. try to catch up to that level if you're like the new guys, like, whole. Oh.
0: I know. Running the house. And yeah, the, the, the ICTF, um, and I keep going back to them, but that was the biggest success for, story for the SIF companies, right? And mostly fifth and third group because they pulled those guys out of Iraq. They vetted them very hard. They brought them to Jordan, trained them for months and months and months. And that was before my time, right? But Jeff Belton and those guys were there. And they brought them back in. And they were the success story. And when ISIS invaded Iraq, they were the ones who stopped them dead in their tracks. And, and they got killed in big numbers, but they stopped ISIS from taking all of Iraq, probably Kuwait and God knows what else, right? But those guys really did. They were very well trained very well uh, armed. Great attitude. A lot of them spoke English. Uh, uh, freaking pipe hitters, man. And to this day, yeah, if you look at their Instagram, they're out there every single day doing stuff, um, keeping Iraq safe. So, so very, very impressed with that unit. And very, very humble that I got to work with them.
1: Me too. Me too. Yeah. they I mean, yeah. absolutely incredible people. And uh, it's... You know, I, I know that a lot of them probably wouldn't have made the choice, but I, I feel like we owed them the same way that we owed the Montagnards when we left. Mm-hmm. We, they should have had the option to be able to pick up their entire extended families, as much mm-hmm. as they want, and yep. go to C17 mm-hmm. and go have a piece.
0: So there's a guy in um, Texas, uh, Omar. His Instagram is Omar underscore I-C-T-F, and Omar was an I-C-T-F operator, and now he lives in Texas, and he's a big old redneck with a truck, and freaking, uh, God bless America, man, great dude, I've shot with him, He uh, and he's a big dude, man, so check out Omar, go follow him, freaking rock star, man, awesome dude. That, that, I think that, that, that I don't know what they do in the Q course, uh, probably Robin Sage, but that, that Building rapport and cross-cultural communication—all that—that's to do something right because we're very good at it, and I've seen other units who are not good at it, sales <laughs> and uh, that that they um that you build that rapport because you're in combat with these guys, man, and they are left and right, and and you're you're relying on them. Yeah, a very very impressive unit. But tell me another story from 07. Oh
1: man, okay, so that was a good oh man I. Yeah, fuck it. I can say that. It's fine. Um, I got some of the best vengeance that I, that has ever been told in the history of the GWAT in 07. Uh, not because I, not because of me personally, but because of something that happened. So the year before, when I was in a 19th group, uh, I was in this little shithole called Diwaniya, which is in southern Iraq. And uh, there was only six of us. And a lot of stuff went wrong. And uh, what happened at the very end, there's only three of us left down there. And we built this whole uh, mic force. Like, that's a company of local Iraqis. Uh, to, like, basically keep the peace down there. Because it was mostly a bunch of, like, European allies and other dudes mm-hmm. that were useless. And uh, what happened was those dudes went out to do something when there was only three of us left, and 10th Group wouldn't give us their support. And uh, they all got killed. They all got, like, they got, they, they there was a lot of bad dudes down there, Jay Shalmati and stuff, and uh, they got mixed up in this fight, and they ran out of ammo, and uh, we couldn't get to them and get them. And we, we had to finally get, like, Navy EOD to drive us out at MRAP or something. We were too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody that, everybody that lived through the fight got uh, rounded up and executed in front of the mosque, uh, which was not an easy thing to take. So almost a year to the date after that, I walk in the ops center, not for the ICTF, but for the commandos. And uh, there's a uh, our, our mutual friend, Mr. Bothell. Uh, and he's uh, he's looking at these maps and stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, first group just got their team house blown up in Diwania, so we're going down to regulate. And I'm like, you're what? And I was like, I want to go. So uh, they actually made a swap. So somebody else go to the ICTF and I could go with our team to Diwania because I knew every street. I knew every, I knew where everybody was. I knew who the bad guys were more, probably better than the first. I'd just done like nine months down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we absolutely mopped the floor with those people. Mm -hmm. Is that no, no, like. No commandos or IC, nobody like it was it's a backwater. So nobody like gangster had ever really been down there. And we were massacring dudes. Mm. Uh our, our mutual friend, Mr. Swallow, was our uh, our loner uh uh warrant for the trip, mm-hmm. bringing Apache gunships in the middle of town and just yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely wasted these bastards. And that was uh that was very gratifying.
2: Mm-hmm. That was very gratifying.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Saw saw the guy responsible for the executions die in his own living room uh mm. it, was, it was uh it was fantastic
0: mm-hmm. yeah all right cool all right you come back from 07 yeah keep going
1: so uh, it's actually sucked i got hurt in 07 i hurt my shoulder really bad uh and we actually we we were getting chewed up on that side i don't know if you remember this they had to bring they had to fly the cephalic committee over to backfill us because we were like out of. Duty. I remember
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah
1: so many dudes had taken there was uh like, uh, our, our buddy Ray was on his third Purple Heart when they finally made him go home. Mm. Uh, dudes were just getting chewed up. Uh, so, also, it was just like a shoulder injury. Like, I wasn't going home. Uh, so, we get back and finally go to the hospital. And, uh, uh, it's
0: it's funny, but when you say dudes were getting chewed up, it wasn't because we were losing fights. Oh. We, we were, yeah, we're doing so much. You're hitting targets every single night. And sometimes multiple hits, one after another after another. We're just in so much combat. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the law of percentages. Some guys are going to get killed. Like Justin got killed, and and, and yeah, um, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, isn't that I mean that was exactly. And guys were, I mean, yeah, enough. I you know all this stuff just eventually took. A, I actually did the math one time. We took like a, a one third casualty rate on that side. It was crazy. Mm. Uh, so anyway, come home, get shoulder looked at, and they're like, "Oh, dude, you're uh, you know it's, it's 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 messed up bad," and uh, got that shoulder worked on. So I missed the '08 trip. Um, actually I did go, I went back, but I was, I didn't even like take armor. I was like a non-combatant status. Basically I had to go, there was a thing that had to go over and it had to be hand carried. So uh, I fly it over and, uh, it was funny because that was also, I guess, like the time that like the world really changed, mm-hmm. uh, between those two trips. And I guess, I guess fifth group had a pretty good tour right after us. They finished mopping it up or whatever. But, uh, so I walk in the ops center. It's like daylight and like, you know, walk in the ops center at uh, area four and I'm you know, like, what's going on? And they're like, uh, your old team actually is in
0: Solder City. Mm. And I'm like,
1: what, dude? It's daylight. Like, oh, my God. Like, give me a machine gun. we got to have to go save. They're like, no, no, no. They've been there all night. And uh, they're handing out candy right now.
0: Nothing going on. Nothing. Go- it, was a, it was a massive transformation from 07 to 08. It was huge. Because in 07, you couldn't go into Solder City without getting in a massive gunfight. Yeah.
1: but uh, Yeah. It came So it took a long time, actually, to repair that shoulder from that and uh, when did i what happened after that yeah so finally healed up uh things were kind of in a weird place for the company then uh and i ended up right after that going to uh cephalic to be a cephalic instructor
0: what's cephalic just explain that
1: special forces advanced urban combat
0: okay and that's a, a group level school for the yeah. group
1: level cqb school
0: mm-hmm. yeah. okay yeah. so yeah what happened then like how long are you there when did you get out? Did you get out from there? You did, right? I, I did. Yeah. yeah, I did get mm-hmm. out from there.
1: Yeah, so th- this was unfortunate, but uh, that shoulder had to be operated on again. Uh, I had slipped a bunch of discs in my neck on my 06 trip from a, an RPG, like a uh, weird, weird thing. It didn't blow up and hit me, but it, it was the closest that an object has ever come to hitting me. That, I, I mean, I couldn't believe there weren't fin marks in the helmet. Mm-hmm. What happened when it came so close, I actually pulled my, you know how helmet, we wear our helmets tight. It's not like some John mm-hmm. Wayne shit when you're getting shot at. And it actually still managed to like pull it off and slam it inside my head. And apparently I slipped a bunch of discs at that time and didn't know it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So these two things kind of started working together. And it got to the point where I would have like weeks at a time where I couldn't turn my head. Or it would be just like this like weird crippling pain. I couldn't even lay down. I had to sit in a chair just like this for like two or three weeks sometimes. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally all of that came together. And it wasn't the way I wanted to go out. But uh, I went to uh, I went to the med, or the uh, you know, was like a real doctor, to get like a refill on meds one time. and It was a new doc, and she's like, pulls up my medical record, and she's like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, getting meds. She's like, "No, I mean in the army. Like you should have been med boarded years ago." And uh, that was like the Great Purge of uh, 2012. Mm-hmm. This has happened to a lot of guys. They, they were intentionally going through medical records then, and if they could, they were they were med boarding dudes out. And so that's what happened. I uh, I ended up I, I unfortunately got med boarded and uh, medically retired.
0: The the physical standard for an 18 series operator is so high. You have to be able to pick up so much weight, you have to be able to do military free fall, dive operator. Like it's so crazy that it's it's actually I got medically retired too, but I I'd done twenty, four years at that point. But it's so high, it's easy to go look at your medical record and go, you can't do your job. You just can't, you know, right? Because if you can't deploy and you can't do free fall option, you can't do this, that, and the other, you're just not, you're not what you're supposed to be. Right. And if you're a certain rank, they can't reclass you into another. No. Animus. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Plus, if you've been one of us that long, like we're going to do like reclasses like a I know. guy over. You're going to
0: be like, uh, you're going to be like an S1, right? You're going to be HR, I, yeah, right? Right. right. <laughs> you're yeah. going to
1: be the S1 at Fort Jackson. Like, yeah. No, no, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. So it. You know, it, it wasn't. I wasn't happy about it at the time, but that's that's what happened. And
0: how many years did you do between the Marine Corps and the Army? It was it was almost
1: fifteen. So it was like you know okay. 15, fourteen years, ten months, or you know something something like that.
0: Yeah. Had you been at eighteen, they probably would have let you ride out the last two years. But five years is a long time to be yeah. It is. It is. So it's time to go. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's um, what I did, and uh, that was not easy to take, though. Uh, yeah. as a lot of guys will tell you uh, at that at that stage. So, uh, so yeah, I did a lot of, uh, you know, drinking and, and silly, sh- silly stuff. And-
0: tell me why, tell me why, I, like, and I've talked to a bunch of guys like this, right? Yeah. Tell me why, why do you get out and you feel, you feel this connection to a job? Cause that's what it is. Cause when you leave, nobody fucking cares. No, they like, don't. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Right. And, and it's hard for guys who get out and sometimes they're like, oh, they I, I remember sitting down with a good friend of mine. And I'm like, look, when you get out. All these guys, you, all your boys in the military, that's going to fade away because they, they live a different life than you. You're still going to be friends. You're going to talk. I can talk to you. It doesn't matter if we haven't talked in five years. I can talk to you. And we, can, we can. But you're not in the club anymore. And you've got to get used to that, right? But it, why is it so devastating? Now, it wasn't devastating for me because I get out of a freaking staff job that I hated. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad to be out. But that, that transition, that hard punch in the face, I took that in the Irish Army. So I'd already been through it, right? I, I left. I left my special op unit, in the Irish Army, with tears running on my face, right? But leaving the American Army, it was time for me to go. I was older. I'd done a lot of time, and I, I. 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 But you were younger. You felt like you have more to give. But tell me, tell me why that that is hard, as opposed to like a civilian job.
1: For me, it was because I didn't feel like I was done yet. Like I, all I wanted was like one more tour at that point, point. and uh, I was actually at Cephalic as a punishment, also. Uh, mm. And I, I was done. Like my time was up there. Finally, I was owed. And this was honest to God. This was the hardest part to take. Yeah, fuck. It, I'll stay anyway. I was supposed to go to Mike Duskins' team. Uh, our, our mutual friend Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd made the trade.
0: Was that on the trip? On the trip where he got killed?
1: Right before that, I was supposed uh, to go and be his fox. Mm-hmm. And they'd made the trade. And you know, first battalion or whatever battalion is in. Like, okay, ominous, dominus, And uh, our sergeant major at the uh, ops or where we were in, uh, shut it down. He mm-hmm. said no. And Mike got killed. And I took that extremely hard mm-hmm. uh, because I was supposed to be there. And it was right after that that they hit me with the med board. Like two months after that, they hit me with the med board thing. Uh So I was, I mean, I was devastated. Did
0: you, ha- did you have a sense that the Army had done with you and they're just casting you aside? Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm.
1: without question, without question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that you know, doubled down with like all I really want to do is go to Afghanistan and avenge Mike. Uh, mm-hmm. Those and then knowing that was I was not going to get to do that. Those two things together made it extremely difficult, mm-hmm. uh, and so it was it was a lot to deal with mentally. Uh, yeah. It was it was tough, man. It Took years to get over.
0: How, how so? You 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 start drinking. That's uh, the problem. Oh yeah, you, you, yeah, guys go guys go a thousand miles an hour for a whole career. And then they get out, yep. And they go home and watch TV, and then they start pouring alcohol on top of it. And that—that's a volatile combination. It just is, right? Oh yeah,
1: it's not yeah. good. It is mm-hmm. not. It is not even close to
0: good. What would you tell people that were getting out now, that we're in your situation?
1: The most important thing I think is this. And I, I've told this to a bunch of guys that got after me because I didn't know what to do. Uh, I tried to hit the ground running after the army uh, and drinking. They're both together, but you know, I didn't know. What, you know, I was like. fuck, I got to do something. I got to like have a job or a career or or something. So I'm trying to do all this shit that I have no business doing or no idea how to do. Uh, What I should have done was taken like at least 30, if not 60 days off, like through my whole terminal leave period and just like sat at home and like, I don't know, gardened or some bullshit.
0: I don't know, man, if that works. That wouldn't work for me. I would lose my freaking mind. I got to keep moving. I, I got to keep active. I don't know what I would do with 30 days off. I, I can't take two days off. It, 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 it's just my personality. And it's yours too. I don't know if that works for a lot of people to just go, okay, I'm just going to go home and sit. Unless you've got a hobby like fishing or whatever that is. I, I think guys like us got to keep active and keep I I think, I think it would
1: have been important for like my situation because you needed a time to process and figure out like what you are now.
0: Uh, but you get isolated too. Because you've left this community, you've been in your whole adult career, and now you're isolated, right? And you're kind of on your own. Yeah, I I, I don't know if that would work for me. But, I, I mean, instead of that, what did you do? You start working? Kind of.
1: I, I started doing things that, uh, this is all in the up and up, but, uh, you, know, I, you know, I don't know what else to do. I know how to do guns. And at this point, I'm also like a, a pro three gunner, so I have that. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I put those things together and I start running around trying to do, uh, like, and I'm also now kind of vaguely involved with like other guys that are out there doing weird shit. So start trying to do like arms deals, like, you know, real, like foreign service, uh, arms deals and like all this stuff and things are going up in smoke and nothing's working out and, uh, you know, do succeed in some things, but have no idea how to do private sector business, uh, And uh, it just becomes this, like, just downward spiral of, uh, you know, do a little bit of contracting here and there to, like, support, you know, monetarily, but don't really want to do that shit either because it's not the same thing. And, uh, yeah, it just took a while to kind of figure out, like, you know, what do you do?
0: Um, Are there any resources that could have helped you?
1: I don't know. Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, one of the other things was, you know, I know there's a lot of, like, Support network and, and stuff, but the thing is, like, because the army, I feel like the army was pushing me away. I wanted to push him away too. I do not
0: want shit to do with. It. I didn't want anything to do with it. There's all these classes you can take on the way out. I was like, I don't want any of them. And some of them are mandatory if you were like an E five or below. But I was a, I was a master, I, like I don't need a check writing class. I know how to write a check. All right. Um, they that uh, like some of them are really stupid, honestly. But it, they were kind of geared towards. A 20 year old who's getting out after three years and doesn't know anything about the real world, right? There wasn't really geared for people like us, so i I, I didn't find any of that, and I wanted it out. I just want like when I was getting out too, they were like, "Hey, we, we broke you. you have so many injuries. We, we need to fix you before we get you." Out. And I said, "I just went out. I just went out, right? Yeah, which is a shame, right so so as you as you take this, did it get progressively worse? As, as time went on for a certain amount of time and then it started you know yeah coming back up okay yeah i would say that yeah I,
1: I it was a long time for me Man, it was like five years
0: was it really yeah yeah what was the turning point
1: i uh i i met my wife mm-hmm. and uh, i had uh my first son and uh, uh even just like when she was pregnant it was like an instant turning point i don't even know if there was a turning point of like you know oh i'm all better now it was a turning point of like you're gonna
0: to get up tomorrow and get your shit together. And, mm. uh, you don't have the luxury of being fucked up anymore. You know, I'm not anti People people heard me. I'm not anti alcohol, even though I don't drink, but I have seen the downside of alcohol. Right. And when you're going through something like that, pouring alcohol on top, which is a depressant, it does not help. It does it not just help. doesn't, yeah. No. The alcohol, uh, you know, we're all silly and stupid with alcohol. That's the point right? But, but when you're in that low point, pouring alcohol on top of it does not help and it leads to suicide, right? right. And, and the best quote I ever heard was, suicide does not take away the pain, it transfers it to somebody else, you're loved, the people who love you, right? So it, it's a horrible decision made from a very bad place. Okay, so then you started, uh, as you started climbing back up the ladder, what, what did you work at?
1: I, uh, I was actually uh, a gun review guy for, uh, for Guns America. So I
0: remember that yep mm-hmm.
1: so I needed something that I could do from home now because I'm gonna have a child and uh certainly I'm because i'm I'm not in the army. I'm not gonna have a travel job I'm gonna ha- do something where I can be around him mm. uh so that that kind of meshed and I, I knew the guys that were there and they'd actually tried to hire me uh to like do stuff like that before and I was very resistant to it because I don't really like like the gear honestly we're being perfectly honest mm. and I don't I don't really give a shit what gun like This one, you know, Mm -hmm. whichever one we have that day, this one we're going to use. Yeah. So it was kind of a hard transition too, but not that difficult. And that's what I did. Uh, And, you know, so I did that for a number of years. And uh, while I was doing that, I I started writing novels.
0: Where did the writing come from? Was that something you were already interested in?
1: No, no, hell no. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) That sounded like some, sounded like some nerd stuff that I want to be part of. Uh, (laughs) I I, uh, I basically came to it and, and uh, I basically came to the point of I was writing so much on gun review stuff every mm-hmm. month. I, I was like, I could turn out a novel every two months instead of writing about what color an AR-15 is. They're black, by the way, and they have Magpul furniture on them.
0: But they're not all black. Some of them have fancy colors. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they're better. They're more accurate if they have fancy colors. This is a. This is the new Glock.
1: It mm-hmm. has different plastic on it. Like I know. yeah, <laughs> You know, you know that stuff is fun to a degree, but it also gets very, very repetitive. We're like, mm-hmm. I just yeah. don't care, man. Like, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever gun. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh anyways, like I have to do something else. So that just felt like a natural fit. And uh this this was weird, but it turned out it was like an X man power for me. I don't know why, but uh I wrote my first novel in thirty days. And uh also while having a full I wrote it between like ten o'clock at night and four o'clock in the morning
0: you know okay yep and um I, wow <laughs> 30 days okay i guess that um, was weird it takes me longer to, to write an email um, <laughs> <laughs> actually it doesn't because a lot of my emails are like yes or no or like cut short and you and, know and, 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 and people have oh my god i can't believe you're the military does that to you short to the point writing none of this fluff and bullshit man no time for it yep. right um so you've written five books right now Yep. N- name them off for me uh, they are uh, Last Star of the War God,
1: Sword of the Caliphate, uh, Concrete Jungle, Prairie Fire, and Wrath of the Wendigo. All novels? No. The two in the middle, uh, Concrete Jungle and Prairie Fire, are actually other uh, survival books.
0: Okay. But okay. there's a,
1: a unique twist on survival. I uh, I wrote the first one uh, basically about like riots and stuff like, like George Floyd riot kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And... Uh, it, it's, it's kind of the same way as a lot of the other military stuff. Like uh, so much survival stuff is like, here's how to start a fire and purify water and, you know, drink mm-hmm. your own pee. And to me, that's not how it's done. It's done by like community and the same way that like we would do like a, a set and like, you know, mm-hmm. we need to build these you know Africans up to be like a, a village defense force. That's how you have to think about it. It's about community. And it's about basically it's like, you know, normal green beret stuff, none of which is sexy and exciting. Uh, very little of which is like shooting guns or, you know, having cool gear. So th- that those were probably my strongest two.
0: Okay. Yeah. We put. We, do you have a, a website where people can buy them, or are they just sold on you know Amazon or whatever?
1: They're, they're sold on Amazon.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We put the names down below in 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 the video if if you're um, on YouTube. So right now, where where are you right now in your career? What do you do day to day? What's a typical day?
1: So uh, with with the uh, success of my last book. Because uh, the, the last one's been really popular too, Wrath of Wendigo. Uh, I've actually got a little store that supports that. has got, you know, I sell like uh, you know patches and, and stuff that's kind of, mm. you know, fits with the theme of the book. So basically I do that and I do podcast stuff. And then I, I've also gotten back into the, the training business. So I do that to a degree, uh, but kind of a unique twist on it, uh, especially with like the pistol stuff. So my, my thought on like pistol and carbine and everybody has an opinion. Is it, it's not, Oh my God, they do. Oh man. No kidding. But to me, this is what I saw over and over again with like my personal clients. It's not about necessarily the technique. You do have to have good technique. You need to learn that, but it's pretty Mm -hmm. simple. It's pretty short. It's about like the repetition and like the drills and like the little stuff in between, which you can't just go do a day of drills and get better. You need to do like a little bit all the time. So what I did is I had this thought of what if we, we created a program, which I've done now with some, some help. Where you could take an airsoft gun and train in your garage, but train real world stuff. And then you have for the weekend or for you know once a month, you got to shoot real bullets. Here's the drills that we built with airsoft. Now you're doing with live fire and now you're actually improving.
0: Mm-hmm. Take like the crawl walk, crawl, walk, run stuff we did in the army, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a very short, like, you know, 10 minutes a day thing to get better. So nobody has time for like two hours of
0: training every day. No. Nobody
1: has time to drive to the range and shoot like a thousand rounds. Like you just mm. don't.
0: So you put out the drills.
1: I yeah. So yeah. I I I show how it's done. Why mm-hmm. we're doing this airsoft piece. What the disadvantages are because you know there's no recoil, obviously.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I go shoot the live fire part too. Like okay, now this is what we built to. This is what's going to be different. And this is the live fire part of that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that's innovative because I, I I've talked to people and they take of course, with these guys and these guys and these guys, and they're all teaching them the same thing. There's only so many ways to grip it and line up sights, and it, it's, it's repetition you need, right? And repetition with drills, drills are specifically designed to isolate something. Okay, now we're going to work on grip, and these drills work on grip, and these are side alignment, these are trigger squeeze, And then it's about repetition. I never shot as many rounds in my life as I did in Sephardic. Yep. My, with the M9 Beretta, my trigger finger was smoked by the end of the day. It was awesome. Yeah. That's your taxpayer dollars work right there. But it, it was freaking great, right? But it was drills. We great instructors and were very, very good at what they did. So that's, that's a good. Airsoft guns have come so far. It, Airsoft guns have come a long way. This is a Glock 19. Airsoft on yeah, right? nice? the the weight is very comparable. It's a little lighter because they don't have real bullets in it. But the slide action, the mag release, my God. Like and the, the, you can you can practice drills. The trigger's and, and pretty close. It is, yeah. And, and it it is very, very it's not a, like it is, you pull this out when the cops are around, you're gonna get shot, right? Oh you're yeah, gonna, you're, yeah, yeah. It looks so real and feels so. If you're not comfortable with having a gun in your house until you train a little bit, these are a great option. They really are, and you can buy them online and get them shipped to your house. It's yeah, not, not a gun. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So that's a good. I like innovative thought processes to to you know train and stuff like that because everybody's doing the same thing. They're all standing online. And with with you know looking like a badass with a beard and my sleeve tattoos and and drills and i I just think it's not the best use of your money. That that's cool. Where can people find that?
1: Uh, they can find that at uh, defiancetraininggroup.com. dot oh, com. Okay,
0: I have that link. I'll put it below. Okay, cool. What else?
1: There's another one. This is uh, this was actually crazy, but uh, I actually. At some point, I want to get you out to one to see it or to, to collaborate on one. Mm-hmm. So I, I've had another kind of epiphany as far as training goes. Because I'm the same with you, man. Like as soon as they took away my free bullets, that actually hurt me too.
0: Oh yeah, bullets are so expensive. Oh my god. Yeah. Especially start talking like real calibers, like yeah, you know, three hundred. Yeah. Bag, like, oh, oh
1: that hurts. Oh about. yeah. Yeah. So uh, about a year ago, I had this other epiphany uh, about how can we train long range where we're not spending two dollars a bullet and we can do it in a shorter space. Mm-hmm. And uh basically what I came to and people people know this already uh rimfire has come so far mm-hmm. at, between like a, I think they call it PRS rimfire or NRL both of those sports fantastic. Uh but they're basically like precision rifle sport but on a shorter range uh, mm-hmm. with a 22. So I was like what if we actually taught people the basics of long range with He's twenty-two, so I, I invested in the stuff and uh, and I started doing it. It's funny, a, a mutual of ours I actually had clients for the first time I did it. A mm-hmm. uh, I mutual mean, of ours, Mister Croft. We were talking. Mm-hmm. And I told him what I was going to do, and he's like, "That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard." And I'm going to come out just to see what happens to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, wow. But we did it." We, uh, <laughs> we, but he came out and uh, we did it, and it, it actually worked amazingly well. Because here's mm-hmm. the thing: modern, you can't just buy like some you know bulk federal pack crap that's not gonna work you buy some decent ammo you know like sk or a uh, wolf or you know even lapua at like 15 to 30 cents around 22 behave it's it's accurate enough and it behaves basically 22 at like 300 yards like shooting 308 at like a thousand yards and it's it's also true you shoot small targets you shoot smaller targets yes mm-hmm. exactly so i've got like little you know plates like this big that it, you know
0: Gives you access to uh, like people don't have thousand yard ranges right
1: right yeah except round less. Uh,
0: yep mm-hmm.
1: so one you can do it in a in a short oh the wind uh, you know, okay two biggest things with modern rifle that you still have to learn how to do uh, you have to read the wind uh, mm-hmm. nobody can do that for you and then positional shooting with recoil mm-hmm. you you still actually get the wind from the rimfire because mm-hmm. like a one or two mile an hour wind pushes the bullet so hard uh, I saw this the first time when I was out grouping I'm like grouping like a hundred yards. One day, you know, they're like super tight or whatever. Next day, you know, they're like, all I'm like, wait, like what? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna like, question myself, like my ammo suck now. I'm like, and finally I asked one of the guys that's big into uh rim fire stuff, he's like, was there any wind at all? And it was like a one mile-an hour wind, like you know, the grass is barely, and he's like, Yeah, that's enough. That that will it is. Mm-hmm. You have to read the wind to that degree. Mm-hmm. So you're doing it over a shorter range, you're only doing it over like, you know, three to five hundred yards, five hundred being like the extreme edge of what most people are gonna get. But you do have to read it so precisely that it still has value, mm. and then everything else, like learn how to use a Kestrel, uh, you know the the trigger, you know the the body, everything except for the recoil. So you still you can work positional stuff, but you're not going to get any. You you don't. There's no punishment of, of having a bad position in recoil.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah. it's uh it's extremely weird. But I've taught a couple of classes this way now, and uh, it's it's very popular.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Another thing that's awesome about it is because you know, Ripfire doesn't, it's not loud and it doesn't punish you because you use subsonics all the time. You can actually get a lot more out of a new guy. As far as like good shots in a day, mm-hmm. you can get double, maybe even triple, which you can get on a center fire rifle before, you know, they're just kind of fried and they can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's extremely weird about it is as like the guy teaching it, it's so quiet because nobody has to wear earplugs because subsonic 22 basically doesn't you can remain very calm and just like talk like a normal conversation. Why,
0: why are you run, running subsonic?
1: Uh, subsonic uh, 22 does not survive the, uh, the transonic uh, zone very well. So if mm-hmm. you just start, if you just start at subsonic.
0: Oh, just to keep it consistent. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a recommendation on a gun? Uh, 22 rifle?
1: Yes. There's uh there's five levels that you can get into as far as how much money you want to spend. Uh, believe it or not. Uh, the the uh, the AR fifteen upper receivers from both Nordic Components and uh, JP are accurate enough. Mm. That's uh, yeah, that's
0: yeah. The the um, how much are we talking about?
1: That's like five hundred bucks. That's the cheapest okay. way to get it from JP. From uh, I, I actually recommend the Nordic Components one more, but okay. the JP one's good too. They're they're both equally good. They're not quite as accurate as the bolt. But they're they're good enough. They're talking like a you know inch and a quarter to hundred. What
0: about a bolt gun? Like something I want to practice precision with.
1: Uh, For the bolt guns, I like the Bergara B14Rs, okay, uh, because they take a the Remington 700 footprint, so they'll fit any Remington 700 chassis. Mm. They also take Remington 700 triggers, so you can throw a trigger tech right in it. Uh, There's a little bit of weirdness; you have to work their magazines a little bit to get them to feed right sometimes. Mm. But they're Mm -hmm. pretty good. They're pretty good. They're pretty accurate too. Uh, They're for the money. They're by far the best.
0: What about a scope? The the uh, regular scope. Doesn't matter. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it, this is this is going to be completely ridiculous, but I run, one of my 22s right now has a zero compromise uh, four to twenty six on it. Uh,
0: okay. You know, mm. so, yeah. yeah, but know, you want right. you, mm.
1: you want to run the same kind of your your Horus yeah. or whatever.
0: I grew up on twenty two because Ireland you couldn't get those bigger caliber. I I had an M I had an M four carbine replica twenty two Magnum. Nice. Nah, yeah. I hunted with it. I shot rabbits with it all the time, uh, yeah. and it was great. I love that thing. But yeah, I I really like that. Yeah, I'd love to come out and, and, and do a do a combination thing for with you. It'd be awesome. Run the ballistic calculator, show people the basics. It's almost like like the ASR, the Barrett M ride. That's all of so common the army have. We kept the 308 in there. It's 308, 300 norma, 338 norma, because reason there's it's great for training. We have millions of rounds in inventory. Uh, you can't shoot at 300 Norma on a lot of the ranges because it busts the surface danger zone. And then it's the same thing, but it, the, the wind, the wind call becomes different, right? A little more recoil, but you can tr- do a lot of training on 308 and do a little less on that super expensive 300 Norma and you know more restrictive where you can shoot it. And that it's the same principle, right? You're you're learning all the basics. You're isolating the basics. And learning them individually, and then you're putting them all together when you do. I like it. I like it. I like innovative.
1: I think it'll. I think it'll blow your mind. It'll also open up so many more people that you can train because you can, you don't have to have a thousand yard range anymore. A yeah. Three hundred yard range with twenty two mm-hmm. is is challenging. Yeah. And, and like I said, five hundred. Like you're really like pushing the envelope of what can be done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at that at that range.
0: Yeah, you should make a build. You know, a Clay Martin build rifle optic bipod uh, twenty two. Good idea. Yeah, you should, and then sell it as a package. Because people don't want to go, oh, I don't know about this and I don't know about, but sell us a package and say, this is what I recommend.
1: Well, you know, there's so much too from the long run. There's so many chassis and stocks. There is. There is. Yep. And, and It's, it's, it's mind
0: boggling to people. It is. It's- right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if they, if they take a package deal like that from somebody to trust who doesn't have a dog in a fight, really, uh, it, it, it makes it easy for them and they're more likely to do it. You know? Good idea. Yeah. 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 All right. Cool, man. I am so glad you, you're, you're doing well, brother. I want to get out and train with you. Where do you live? I live in Oklahoma now. Okay. Okay. I, I want to get out there and train with you. I, da, 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 I will be in Little Rock, Arkansas. How far are you from Little Rock?
1: Uh, I think it's like four or six hours. It's not that far.
0: Oh, that's too, that's far. <laughs> I'll be in Little Rock training cops in October. I was just down there training the Army National Guard sniper instructors, yeah, but I knew it was somewhat close, but that's kind of far. But we'll, we'll put something together, and we'll do something um, together. How can people find you? Do you have Instagram?
1: Uh, I do have Instagram. I don't even remember what my name is. Mostly, I'm a Twitter guy, uh, mm. so I'm uh, I'm Clay Martin, uh, way off the res on, on Twitter. That's my primary. Okay. Um, yeah, we've got an, an IG and some Facebook.
0: I think you sent me all that stuff already, right? I think you te- you texted it to me. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get that posted. Clay, it's been great catching up, man. It's been great uh, BSing with you. Uh, you're a breath of fresh air because you don't buy into all the tactical BS, man. You're a pretty practical guy. Tell the truth. And, and to hell with the consequences, right? Um, <laughs> it, 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 it is what it is, man. Uh, the, I don't know if you remember the last time I saw you at Chacho, I interrupted your interview like a jackass. You were like you were like doing an interview on the floor, and I'm like, Clay, what's going on, man? That was before I knew anything about social media. And you're like, fucking asshole, man. But uh, if I ever if I ever see you at Chacho again you're doing that, I'll absolutely do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I would expect the same from you. Yeah, the, the whole social media world is weird, but it is a powerful me- mechanism. But it, yeah, you don't have to be an asshole if you want to. No man, about, right? It how hel- it helps, but you don't have to do it. <laughs> this is something I decided a long
1: time ago. I would rather be me and make a lot less money.
0: I would too. Like yeah, a fucking cartoon yeah. character. Mm-hmm. Like, and I would rather work for myself and be broke than work for somebody else and be freaking- yeah. I just, I can't do it anymore. All right, Clay. Thank you so much, man. Uh, we'll wrap it up because I need to pee really bad. <laughs> I really shouldn't put that out, but uh, all right, brother. Great talking to you, man. You too, brother. I appreciate it. Okay. Again, okay. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you're on YouTube, please hit subscribe because it really does help the channel and it gets it pushed out. And uh, if you're on the podcast platform, the guys who uh, who donated to the podcast. Thank you so much, man. That blows me away. You're so freaking generous. But you could donate and like and subscribe on YouTube and more podcasts coming. So until then, uh, I appreciate you guys listening.